Greetings, my friends. Uh, welcome to Rendezvous. Not Rendezvous. Uh, Rendezvous with Jamie McGlue. Um, so we're going to talk about opening our minds. So this is an invitation to open your mind. Maybe your mind's already more open and loose and luxuriantly expansive than my own. Please teach me the trick if that's the case. But yeah, in a nutshell, I'm just going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to go into too much detail. Um, and, uh, but I'm going to just mention a bunch of things where I think um, it's either something that I believe, I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I'm certain this is a thing, or I think it's probably true, or I think it's possibly true. Maybe. Um, and uh, so I'm going to mention these and it's just kind of food for thought. So you could go look into these yourself. Um, but, you know, we don't know what we don't know. So I'm going to give you some breadcrumb trails you could follow if you want. If you want more like resources or things um, to look up, send me a message on, you know, on Instagram or like on uh, uh, YouTube here or um wherever give me a call um telepathically you know enter my mind um and uh, i will tell you but um in general what i would do to this thing is i um with any topic i look up i you know so i usually go through the internet but you know you could do this through a library if you wanted but um i go through the internet and i go i search um, one side of the the argument and then I search the other like so I'll enter oh okay um, vaccines cause autism and also in a separate window vaccines don't cause autism and I'll you know and I'll just go both sides and just try to see what both things say or um, say it's um, so like oh you know someone says you should you know say um, like I've got a baby and if there's some certain health advice which I don't really trust, you know, um, and I think I've got good reasons. I think it's a rational, principled, evidence-based approach that I take to my child. Um, and uh, but the certain things where I'm like, oh, I, I not, I have a, the authorities are wrong about enough stuff where I, I, I can't just outsource that, unfortunately, um, uh, or fortunately, who knows. But where anyway, I um, I'll do it myself, and so I'll go. Say it's like, oh, there's this thing like, you know, nappy cream or whatever, you know, for nappy rash. I will go look, uh, I'll, you know, search um, why never to use nappy rash or nappy rash harmful effects, you know. But then I'll also, um, or, you know, uh, what's wrong with nappy rash, whatever, just to see what comes up and then just go through, look and open in new windows. Don't go into them all at once, but just kind of scan through the list there, the results and go, you know, control, click or whatever, like, um, open in a new tab like the other whatever looks like you know interesting or useful stuff um and then you know when i go to it if it's not really useful okay i close it get rid of it but if it's useful okay i'll keep it there for later um and then i'll also go to the other side you know like what's in favor of it, like um benefits of nappy cream um you know um debunked you know nappy cream concerns debunked whatever you know and look at it from both sides and you both you've got your intu intuitive feeling of like who makes sense then you've also got who's writing it and, and what is their motivation 
oh, this is by a mother. Okay, so her motivation is to protect her children. But also maybe she's got like a, a certain ideology or a certain worldview, which she's con confirming, you know, by saying, oh, this is bad. Maybe she likes more natural stuff. Whereas the other thing about, oh, what's their, you know, point of view? Well, oh, these people, you know, they make <laughs> nappy rash cream. Oh, okay, well, they've got an interest in, you know, think about where the information comes from. Um, uh, which I got from history, you know, like that's you ha when you study history, you have to look at who's the source for any information because often that affects what they tell you. But, um, and uh, then you look at the internal consistency within it, like do they contradict themselves, like, and within the article for one thing, but um, you might notice they say somewhere there's no, you know, evidence that blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of the article, they say, oh, a study in 2015 showed there may be a problem with blah, blah, blah. Oh, you said there was no evidence, and then now you're saying there might be, ah, uh, not consistent. You know, that's like, mm, you know, a bit of a red flag. Doesn't mean it's wrong, but it means, okay, that's some evidence against it. It tilts the scales that way, you know. Um, and then, um, and also if the same uh, writer or same organization, look at other articles, over time you start to notice who, you know, they say one thing here, but then they say a different thing there, like, you know, the government during COVID, you know, they're constantly contradicting themselves. Like, oh, you have to stay inside. It's dangerous to be outside. But then it's like, oh, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, everyone get out on the street. It's fine. But you said it's bad. What? You know, it doesn't make sense. Um, so, but then, and then also, um, so internal consistency or lack thereof, and then also consistency between sources. So say if other people, other sources, seemingly um, not connected, have the same point of view, um, then okay, that seems to be more reason for it. However, there's also powerful interests who will put money into a hundred different organizations. And so they might, just because 99 people in the room have one opinion does not mean it's true, does not mean it's right. You know, 99 people in the room used to say the earth was flat. One person said it wasn't, who was right, you know? So that how do we know whether we're in that situation or whether we're in the situation where nowadays <laughs> one person says it's flat, 99 say it's round. How do you know? Well, you know, you have to look at all these factors and um, make up your mind. And at yeah, the end of the day, I think for many things, we just don't know. You just have to make a judgment call. Um, but you can get close enough by you know, putting in the work, not being lazy, um, and, uh, you know, um, uh, you can cultivate trusted sources, but, you know, ideally um, to be doing the work yourself. Um, and uh, kind of you know, balance up the scales of, okay, well, this, you know, all these factors I'm mentioning. Um, and then also um, between opposing views, right? So not just, oh, other people have the same uh, opinion. Okay, it means more, you know, a bit more reason. So may maybe, you know, when things are true, many people notice them. So, oh, maybe this is one of the true things. But also when there's a lie and someone's benefiting from it, often more than one people make the lie. More than one pe pe person benefits from it. Um and, um, you know, many people could be controlled or funded by one source, a single source, you know. Um, but like Goldman Sachs funding the Republicans and the Democrats, you know, it's like, you know, um, or the Bank of Ireland funding, you know, being in cahoots with, you know, the British, but then um, funding uh, the revolutionaries in, um, in the War of Independence, who then, you know, Ireland became independent and the Bank of Ireland, hey, was on good terms with them because they'd funded them, you know. So hedging their bets. Anyway, um, so, but you see um, between, like, or someone says nappy rash cream's bad, the other says it's good, 
um, the other side of the debate or whatever, or maybe someone's in the middle, or a different point of view says, oh, it's bad in this situation, good in that situation. Um, just to see, compare their arguments and who makes sense and, you know, um, who's referring more to evidence, who's referring more to emotion, you know. Um, so all these factors, right? There's a little summary of some critical thinking skills which I apply and which you should apply to, I think. Um, but yeah, so now that's done. I'm going to tell you, um, I'm going to play you a sweet little song and then um, get into just quickly running through a bunch of things which might, you know, <laughs> surprise you. And um, yeah, I'm sort of coming out. Some of these probably almost like coming out of the closet, you know, like uh, some of these things people would think like, oh my God, oh. It's, it's like talking about them um, uh, is like it can make people reassess their opinion of you. Like, oh, oh, I thought you were, you know, pretty balanced. You know, I thought that guy was pretty balanced, but oh, he thinks that thing's possible. Mm, maybe I need to reassess everything about, you know, maybe he's off with the fairies. And so that's why I think a lot of people, you know, don't want to talk, they self-censor. But, um, you know, I think uh, there's, I really think that there's greater risk in being closed-minded than in being open-minded. And yeah, um, if you're not, I think the real thing is if you're not open-minded enough, like people think, oh, you're really open-minded, you're going to get tricked and brainwashed. It's like, well, so long as you're open-minded to the possibility that people are lying to you or people are wrong, then there's no that no one can trap you. The only problem is if you get closed-minded, you go, I'm open-minded to things, and you go, oh, dinosaurs run the world. You know, the lock, less Nessie is the queen of Earth ruling from Antarctica or something, you know, uh, um, and okay, the Loch Ness Monster rules the Earth. Um, yeah, I'm open to that. I'll consider that. I'll watch a documentary. Then two hours later, this is definitely true. They wouldn't lie to me. Nessie wouldn't lie to me. It's like... It's an extreme example, but you know, if some um, someone's like, "Oh no, I don't think that's true," because blah blah blah. If you're open-minded to that, and also just you know, yeah, thinking for yourself, like, "Oh, okay, am I jumping to conclusions? Is this you know?" Then you remain fully open-minded. You don't stop halfway. Then there's no danger, because you that open-mindedness includes questioning any things which might not be true, which you might encounter in the course of your open-minded journeys. Um, on the other hand, conversely, um, if someone, uh, if there's me history is just full of, is it littered with examples of tragedies caused by a lack of open-mindedness, people being too close-minded. Hitler, like, oh yeah, the Jews are bad, for sure. Are you sure, Hitler? Have you thought this through? Aren't we all just branches on the same tree? No, no, I know what I'm talking about. This is, th all right, couldn't get through to him, you know, like no one was going to change his mind. Or, um, you know, doctors who were giving lobotomies, you know, drilling into your head, stirring the brains or giving leeches to people or, you know, um, electroshock therapy, which wiped out their memories and stuff. Which, you know, two of those three things were fairly recent things. It's like, um, you know, um, they had, they're like, oh, this is definitely right, you know. And so, yeah, or communists, you know, thinking, you know, it's like, you know, Millions and millions of people have been killed by this ideology through time. Like it's doesn't, it's not practical. There's too many holes in the the narrative. It's a nice narrative, but there's too many holes, which it's not um, mapping out the terrain of reality accurately enough. It creates these traps, um, deadly traps. It's like, you know, but still, there's people who you know who don't want to see that. You know. Um, so anyway, 
All right. So open minors. Um, so a little song. Once upon a time, I was walking with God, and then five minutes later, I wasn't, I was shocked, I was all alone, I had to think for myself, and maybe one day, I'll be swimming wisdom but until then I'll just have to be thinking open-minded but skeptical I call that song fill in the blank okay so um yeah, all right, let's see. So some things, um, now, very. I, I know I'm lying to you a little bit, but very briefly, I will just preface this by saying some things you might think are outlandish, like there's no way that's possible. But I would just say a few brief things there is that we don't, you know, there are conceivable pathways that history could ha have evolved down, the directions that history can go or the universe can go. Does this happen or does that happen? You know, one or zero, left or right, you know? Um, yes or no to this condition, you know, and there's billions of conditions and they all multiply and add up, you know, so um, Like oh, you know JFK was killed by the CIA or JFK was killed by Lee Harvey Oswald or he's killed by the central bank Like the Federal Reserve or the Federal Reserve and the CIA um, Or the Federal Reserve the CIA and the Mafia or just the Mafia or someone else or aliens <laughs> yeah. Who know there's all these different paths or he wasn't killed, you know he, I don't know, he went to Mexico. Um, some of these are more likely than others, but like you can, um, there are potential paths that you could think, um, or maybe Lee Harvey Oswald and his friend who no one ever heard about or something, you know? There's many paths we can imagine things go down. And um, so the thing is, how do we know which path we are on, right? So um, say like we can think, um, we, we know that um, through every year or every few years, you, you look back and you're like, oh my God, wow, I've, yeah, I've really improved my perspective. I've kind of learned things, you know? I don't see things the same way as I did before. Like I, my beliefs have changed a bit. And that's a good thing, it means we're learning. Um, but that also means, you know, we're not at the end of the process, right? So for sure, right now, there are things which we're oblivious to. Um, and for sure, there are powerful people on the planet who have secrets, right? You know, history just keeps revealing. It recently, many, many, many secrets are coming out, you know. Um, but for sure, just God only knows. Just can you imagine how many crazy secrets there must be? Now, even if you think there's not a huge number, for sure we don't know everything, right? So there's some things right now where our perspective, what we believe is actually wrong. It's limited. It's missing important information um, that would shock us, you know. Um, so... That's the fact. But then whenever people tell us about things which we don't yet believe in, we're so skeptical and like, oh, no way. We're like, oh, yeah, there's things we don't know. Yeah, sure. It makes sense. But then, oh, what about this? Oh, I don't believe that. Well, you don't right now. But I mean, I'm telling you this. Why, why don't you? I want you to think about it. But like, oh, but that's, that's too different to what I believe. 
unless it's right next door to what I believe that I'm not going to consider it. It's like, well, how do you know, you know, over 10 years, the things you start believing in, they're not like next door to what you believe 10 years ago. They can be quite different, you know? Um, and so um, how do you know that your idea of what the world is, is actually accurate? And how do you know that the universe didn't actually evolve down some other pathway which seems ridiculous to you, but it's just the way it is. It's just real. And your ideas are actually ridiculous. And maybe they got into your head by accident or by someone else's design through controlling education or the media or whatever. We could imagine ways that it's possible. And we don't need to say that it definitely is the case. But I think to be fair and to be rational, we need to admit that, well, we don't actually have any evidence about which parallel universe we're in. You know, are we in the universe where we know everything or where, let's say more usefully, are we in the parallel universe, so to speak, the pathway of history where of the, all the potential histories that could be? Are we on the pathway where all the secrets that we're not aware of, then they won't change the worldview that much. They're not that shocking, you know. Um, are we on, but we don't know them, but you know, it would be surprising, but it's not too crazy. Is that the, the world we're in or um, are we actually on one of the pathways where it's really crazy, totally different to what we think, um, very different, you know? Some things, of course, would be the same, but like, you know, 20% of the big things we believe are just totally, no, the truth is totally different. Um, how do we know? I would say we don't know and we need to be comfortable with that. It's nothing to be worried about. Actually, it's kind of interesting and exciting. It's like, you know, there's a journey of discovery, curiosity, to, an adventure to find out what's going on. Um, and it's just basic humility, I think, and um, self-confidence and um, emotional self-sufficiency where you're not, you don't have this crutch of, oh, my ideas about the world. If I don't have them, I'm going to fall over. It's like, you're fine. You know, Eckhart Tolle talks about, you know, the state of not knowing and that it's actually a state full of knowing on a deeper sense. It's like wisdom, you know, enlightenment in a way is this state of um, being comfortable with not having an answer for things. Um, and that actually that state is where you're open, open-minded, you know, and you can learn things. And so wise people tend to, like Socrates says, you know, or is said to have said, um, all I know is that I know nothing. Um, you know, so humility begets wisdom but yeah um so i would say yeah um and then if you think about it, some of the things i'm going to say uh, i would say are possible i don't know if they're true but um i would say that uh there's the big lie theory you know like joseph goebbels talked about the nazi guy propagandist like if you tell a big enough lie people will believe it because they think oh, there's no way they're lying about that that's too crazy that's too much of a leap you know um and so people can use that, you know, they can do something really bad, um, but, you know, and lie about what, or make, make a really big lie. And people would go, okay, well, that would, you know, that, that would be like really dangerous so that, that they wouldn't do that. But it's like, no, you wouldn't do that. But they're seeing an opportunity and they're like, yeah, sure. People would, um, yeah. Um, and so essentially they're bluffing, you know, um, someone's, oh, they wouldn't put in a, a hundred extra chips you know, if they didn't have something good. So, no, they've got nothing. They're just really emotionally dominant and they're just pushing you around with 
and or whatever, or they're just crazy, reckless, you know. Um, so, and then there's also the thing, I guess there's the final point, um, that um, potentially um, corrupt interests, um, whether in your country or internationally or whatever, um, apart from just there's ignorance for sure, just accidental things, you know, us being wrong just because we're wrong. You know, we thought the world was flat, you know, so, you know, that was just an idea everyone had. It makes sense based on what we see, the illusion of flatness that we see. Um, even if, you know, the Vatican and stuff were trying to hold in place um, later on, originally it didn't come from power, it's just ignorance. Um, but, um, but also, for sure, history is full of examples and recent history is full of examples, the present moment, for sure, and the future, surely, you know, human nature, following the pattern, pattern recognition, is that um, power, p powerful people love to expand their power through lying to others, you know, and they present you an, uh, a fictional virtual world for you to live in while they go around clear, clean everyone's pockets, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, or someone said for the enemy, you know, you create a world for your, your enemy thinks they're in this world, they're in, the, in this battlefield, but actually that's just a story you've given them, you know, mind games. Anyway, so one thing to be aware of is that if powerful people have crossed the line too far, right, and if... They, um, you know, it's like the equivalent of like when the law used to be, oh, you get killed if you steal a loaf of bread. Um, it was, you know, so people would steal a loaf of bread because they're hungry. But then they'd also, you know, okay, I'll kill the person, you know, or the, um, someone's going to tell the cops, I'll kill them. Doesn't matter. I'm going to die either way. So there's not, no loss. Where, where, or I'll also rob their gold, you know, instead of just the bread. Instead of if the law, then later on they realize, oh, okay, reformed the law. And they said, oh, if you, steal bread, there's a lower punishment, a lighter punishment than if you, you know, rob or kill people. And then there's people who would steal bread, but they wouldn't go the further step, even though, oh, stealing the gold would be useful. But no, the crime would be more serious if I do that. I'll just stick with the bread. I don't want to risk that extra um, penalty. If there are people who are in, say, a country or in the world globally um, who have... Um, and I think there probably are, as you could guess from the, what I'm saying, um, who have crossed the line into criminality so badly that, you know, if the public ever discovers it, they, they know if the public ever finds out about this en masse, if the majority come to understand what we, what we have done, um, we're going to get executed or we're going to get put in prison. Like it's all over for us. If they're already at that point, they've crossed that line there's no longer any incentive for them not to just expand their profit and their power. Because what, what are they going to do? Kill me twice? No, you know, you know, go from a hundred year sentence to a 200 year sentence. <laughs> like, you know, so, oh, okay. Well, so that opens the door to, we go, no, there's no way all these horrendous things could be being done. But there's a certain line where if people cross that line, then there, it comes a point where actually it's in their interest from a limited egoic, you know, point of view you're separated, you're suffering the illusion of separation. You're not aware that we're all one big organism, super organism, one tree of life with many branches. Um, I'm a branch, you're a branch, you know, but we're one tree. Um, uh, so, so they're disconnected from love there. Um, in that, from that point of view, um, uh, it's in their interest to just, well, you know, the, the risk of committing all these, um, instead of one atrocity, which will get me executed, why don't I do 10 and just engage in them and um, 
you know, there's no, ex like, yeah, there's a slightly greater chance people find out because I'm doing more things. I'm affecting the environment more. But my, my profits, like, are huge, you know. Um, or, you know, you, and um, really, you know, if people are going to find the other thing, they're going to find this, you know. It's not much of a change, you know. Um, so the, the calculus is in their interest to just keep pushing, you know, um, make it worth their while. Um, and then also there's that big lie thing that comes in of, a lot of people, if they say, oh, yeah, guess what? The government or, you know, these corporations or whatever, or these people, they're not um, – I, I know you think they're just doing one, you know, the thing wrong. They're just a bit corrupt. But um, actually, they're trying to kill us all. <laughs> they're doing this. They're doing that. They're doing this. And, you know, peop, there's a thing where if you do enough bad things, it's kind of actually it, – it lowers the chance that people are going to catch you because the normal people who aren't paying attention to this, when the people who are – open-minded enough and conscious enough and kind of hardworking and conscientious enough and courageous enough to share their, what they find in their, you know, curiosity and their um, explorations intellectually. When those people talk to the rest of the people, um, if the truth is just really significantly different, if there's a big gulf or delta between um, what people think is going on and what's actually going on in the world, if you can get traverse that distance before people start noticing um you can have it at a point where you've got a critical mass of difference where it's like it's so different that very few people will believe it and so at that point you know people start self-censoring like oh do i want to tell people everyone's going to think i'm crazy and so you have some people and then you divide the movement the, um, the divide and conquer of the aware, more aware minority who can see what's going on where you have some of them who are like, no, absolutist, like, no, just tell the truth, exactly what I think, you know? Um, and then you'll have others on the other end, like, no, no, you know, like, or maybe next to them might be like, oh, you know, like, I, I agree with you. I definitely think I, I have the same opinions as you, but I think we shouldn't talk about some of the stuff because we need to be practical and we need to connect with people and expand, get them to start thinking. So bring them in at this level. And then once they've digested that, we can give them the next stuff to digest but they're not ready for the full truth yet. They'll just think we're crazy. Um, and then you've got another level um, next to them who'd be like, no, you two are crazy. Like, um, I, that's totally wrong. I don't agree with you what you think about that. I agree with these basic things, but you go too far when you start talking about that, that, that. But then actually subconsciously they do agree, but they're repressing that because they wish they didn't believe these things because they know it's going to make them look crazy. And so you have that. And then another level below them or next to them would be people who um, genuinely don't believe in these more extreme things. Um, and so they're like, well, I agree with you on these things, but man, the other stuff, I just don't think that makes sense. And they're genuine about that. They're not repressing their awareness that, you know, something's going on. They're just not aware. Um, and so um, uh, you've got that whole, you know, these different uh, versions of the the people who are aware that some weird things are going on that you know big lies in society and so if there's if you can get to, if you if i were like uh trying to take over the world or trying to take over a country that would make sense to actually do a bunch of really crazy things um where you're gonna make the people who are aware of if you just do one crazy thing the people can tell everyone else about it and then you get in trouble um but if you do like a bunch of things where it's, it gets to the point where people won't believe them. They'll think, no, that's crazy. That's so far-fetched. Then you actually turn the people against the minority who's trying to help them. So are we in the universe or the parallel universe where that's happening? 
um, or to a large extent, or whether that's happening to some sort of extent, or whether it's happening to no extent at all. You know, I don't know. <laughs> all right. So now, now I'm, I'm accidentally like baiting you like a salesman. So okay, finally, um, uh, what um, specific things do I think, which might be um, yeah interesting for you? So um, I think nine uh, eleven. It was either for sure the Saudi members of the Saudi um, government and I think royal family were involved in planning. That's for sure. And when planes were grounded after, and Saudis have a lot of influence in America and vice versa, but the Americans provided since world, the end of World War II military protection for Saudi Arabia, which was a new country. Um, the Saudi tribes, you know, took over a large part of the Ottoman Empire, which had collapsed at the end of World War One. Um, so um, the Americans provided military protection in exchange for the oil. The Saudis could only trade in U.S. dollars. That was like the deal, um, as far as I understand it. That was it. Um, so it gave, gave rise to the petrodollar, where the American dollar is really strong. Everyone has to use it. Keep, and then you also have it as a reserve currency, Bretton Woods. But whatever. There's a powerful relationship there. Um, and um, just after 9-11 um, um, happened, all the planes were grounded, but, the, but a few planes were allowed to take off just after the attacks. Um, and they were um, carrying um, high-level Saudis, and including members of bin Laden's family, left the US. Um, and um, there's evidence bin Laden was connected to the CIA, um, and or that they trained him for the Mujahideen, I think, in um, Afghanistan when they were fighting the Soviets. I think that's the case. Um, there's things of like, um, so, you know, like the some spy in Pakistan, I think he had sent a um, huge amount of money to the Bin Laden family or something. There's weird things going on where the, at a very minimum, um, the Saudis were involved, US allies were involved and they were never, um, you know, even recently the US has been supplying them with weapons for a war, a genocidal war in Yemen, which, you know, all these people putting up Ukrainian flags on their, you know, I wouldn't imagine being a Yemeni and seeing everyone say, talking about Ukraine. And, you know, fair enough, like, it's awful what's happening there. But it's just like, what about Yemen? It's like, you know, just as bad and no one gave gave a fuck, you know? Like, um, and still, like, you know, it's an awful situation. Millions of children dead and disease and just crazy, terrible things. And the US was, you know, supporting that because of Saudi Arabia. So anyway, so they, you know, that nothing happened there, but for sure they were involved to some extent, right? Um, or there's some sort of connection there. Um, we don't know, you know, how, I'd say, yeah, um, involved, sorry, to be clear, I don't know if they were involved in planning it, um, but that there was a connection there and that was never made public, you know? Um, and, but then you get to, there's all these other, you know, crazy things, but like crazy in the sense of like, well, very surprising. But my feeling would be that um, to make, uh, cut to the chase, that either rogue elements of the US um, government so and military, like, you know, kind of the bureaucracy who's not elected, um, who are always there, you know, and the deep state, right? Um, rogue elements, so they're breaking the constitution, they're, you know, and acting in the shadows. Um, either they, they either planned 9-11 um, as an attack on themselves in order to launch, because um, then that gave them the excuse to go after the peace of the Cold War had ended, 
America spread around the world and, you know, launched a surveillance state of its own citizens, violated, brought in the Patriot Act and violated, you know, um, much of which is a huge thing. And a, a lot of it was already prepared before 9-11 even happened. Um, so they were looking for an excuse to bring these things in. Um, so either they planned it themselves in order to, you know, kind of expand this empire overseas um, or they allowed it to happen or they saw people were planning it and they, they um, helped them through, you know, covert CIA assets or whatever, pretending, trying to make sure that, you know, these terrorists didn't know they were actually helping them. Um, I don't know which it is, but um, there's a lot of very fishy things. Building 7, for example, never talked about in the official government report, but tra trades, there wasn't tw twin towers. It's the triplet towers, you know. There was a third one, which wasn't right next to them, but it was in the area. Um, and it wasn't hit by a plane, but it collapsed. And it looks like a controlled demolition just collapses straight down. And there were, um, there's a, na I think, naval intelligence office there where there were a lot of records from military records, like um, accounting stuff there. They just got, just, oh, that's a coincidence. Then also the plane that hit the Pentagon, they never found like a significant amount of rubble, as I understand it. And it's like, oh, that's weird. Um, and there's no footage of it, even though it like pulled off some crazy like 360 or something around the Pentagon before it, and it didn't get shot down, you know, somehow hitting, you know, the most secure building in the world probably. Um, and it, uh, so this plane, apparently not a bomb, apparently, you know, even though no significant wreckage was recovered from it, um, struck the, uh, accounting office for, I think, yeah, some military department there. And just after the day prior, one day prior, the um, Donald Rumsfeld, I think, yeah, see this um, Secretary of Defense um, went before the public and said, yeah, um, so here's the thing. We can't account for 17, I think it was 17 billion or was it 17, tr 1.7 trillion, 17 trillion, something bananas. And um, like whatever, some huge sum of money. Um, so we can't account for it. We don't know where it is of your taxpayer money. Meanwhile, if you distributed that between the citizens, like, yeah, okay, you know, actually, I guess we don't really need to tax you this much. You keep that money. Instead of us taking your t money as tax and then giving it back to you to help you, quote unquote, uh, you keep it, do something. If you distributed that between the, you know, the American population, it would be a huge amount of money per person. So, and just disappeared. And then the next day, oh, swept under the rug because, oh, we're under attack. And guess what? One of the planes hits the accounting department, which had all the files. So now uh, I guess that's behind us, right? So there's, and I could go on and on, but I'm not going to, right? There's um, uh, that documentary Zeitgeist was pretty good. Um, if you can even watch it these days, it seems things are getting clamped down a bit. Um, some things in that I'm not sure I agree with, but there's a lot of, talks about the Federal Reserve money system and also 9-11 and a lot of that seems fairly uh, useful stuff as a starting point. And, you know, I'm sure people go too far with some of these things. But, um, and again, I don't know what the truth is, but I'm here to say, hey, um, let's be open-minded and say, do we know what's going on? And I don't know. Um, but I'm thinking like, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of tired of self-censoring in general. And I think I'm tired of other people self-censoring too. So let's, um, you know, just be honest here. So what, okay, so 9-11, one thing I'm like, yeah, something fishy going there. The Federal Reserve and the central banks of the world, um, seem to be, uh, I believe, again, it's very hard to know, but it seems to be based on things, many documentaries I've watched and things I've read, um, 
say that there's a book called The Creature from Jekyll Island by Edward G. Griffin. And he, I haven't read it yet, but he does a deep dive into it, um, into the Federal Reserve in America in particular. But from what I understand, these are, it's like a banking cartel. It's like, it seems like it's a global criminal cartel, which is controlling the money supply of all the countries. And I'm not sure how centralized that is. Like, are there different cartels going on? But um, it does seem that, you know, the Federal Reserve one may have been set up by kind of banking interests connected to the Bank of England, um, like the Warburgs or something. And then um, you have the Rockefellers and, and Morgans potentially involved. I, don't, I haven't looked into it enough. But you look into it, there's a bunch of things where it's like, oh, they passed in 1913. It's, by the way, Congress, um, it's unconstitutional, as I understand it, to have um, any money except for gold and silver. That's US dollars are a weight of gold or silver. That's what it is. You can have a, a paper certificate, which can be redeemable for paper, uh, silver or gold. I think there was some Supreme Court case which decided that. But um, now, you know, at some point, they just took it off the gold standard and said, no, no, you can't, you know, like get the gold. Um, and it's just, we can just print it out of thin air and it's like a hidden tax on you. Um, and it does, it certainly seems like the central bank, ECB in Europe, you know, Federal Reserve in Australia, uh, in um, America, um, the the Reserve Bank in Australia. All these things seem a bit slimy, and you know, maybe I'm wrong. I don't think so, though. Um, it seems like yeah, it's like a global banking um, cartel kind of, or at least a series of cartels. Um, and um, yeah, basically, like say in the Federal Reserve, they can print money out of thin air. They, and banks can do this also, the, the banks which are affiliated and connected to the Federal Reserve. Um, they can just um, print loan m money to the government, say. Um, and, and I think also big banks can do it when they loan it to individuals. Um, but for sure, the, the Federal Reserve can loan money to the government. And they, they, just, they don't have the money there. They just print it out of thin air. And the government exchanges certificates of debt to them. So the, the central bank has just gained all this oh, look, we have all this debt owed to us. So they just made all this money out of... It's not like, oh, here's the money, we're printing it and we give it to the government, no strings attached. No, it's like, oh, now every dollar of that is a debt you owe to us and the um, American citizens owe to us and there's compounding interest on it. Now you might ask, where does the interest for that come from? Well, if the economy is the economy going to grow faster than compounding interest? And anyway, even if it could... Why is there interest on this if this is just for the American people? And then you realize, oh, it's a private bank pretending to be a, a, a government bank. That seems to be the situation. And um, JFK was um, starting to print his own money. He had a, issued an executive order. I can't remember the number. Look it up, though. Um, and uh, printing his own currency very shortly before he was assassinated. Um, and um, the, this, was, this is the third central bank the U.S. has. Um, I believe. I think I'm pretty sure the second one, um, the president, so John Adams, um, let the charter for it expire because it wasn't a permanent thing. They had like this, you know, charter thing, like it had a certain expiry date, but he didn't renew it. And um, when he refused to renew it, there were several assassination attempts on his life. Um, and um, he survived them. And um, he said something like, You're a den of, you're a nest of vipers and I shall root you out or something like that. But, um, yeah, pretty crazy, you know. And um, uh, Abraham Lincoln also said, you know, I have two enemies, I have two great enemies, the Confederates in the South and the money lenders or the, the financial interests in the North. 
of the two, the latter is the greater enemy, the greater danger. Um, and then he got killed as well, which is interesting. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. Don't want to cast aspersions. I hope uh, this is just, it looks like this, but actually they're good people, they're doing good things and it's a misunderstanding. I don't know. But um, from looking into it, it doesn't seem like that's what's going on. But I don't know. Again, I do not know. <laughs> um, I'm comfortable talking about possibilities while just being honest. Like, yeah, I don't know. You know, And um, I... I know enough in the world to navigate and take care of myself and those around me. And by sharing my perspectives here, I'm trying to take care of all of us, including the central bankers. Because if we don't balance out our civilization, we're all going to die. We're all going to get wiped out. So um, by just in imploding in you know division and um, you know just insane policies. So I think this is in everyone's interest. Just even if I'm wrong about half the stuff I say, which I don't think I am, but I don't know. <laughs> Um, then I think it's healthy to talk about this. And if everyone was just really candid, I think we would figure stuff out a lot more. Information would flow and we would see very important to be open-minded to other people when they contradict you and see, are, are they right? Because there is such a thing as confirmation bias and wanting to, it's very evolutionarily built in, I guess, from us adapting to f physically to ecosystems and stuff. And then that's that similar technology has been mapped onto the intellectual exploration so, you know, you've got a system that works for gathering food. Okay, keep it. Don't, it's not broken, don't fix it. Um, it's precious to find something that works in any sense. And then with ideas, we're like, oh, here's an explanation of how things work and it's working for me. You have to have a bunch of like co collapses of its functionality before people usually are willing to consider an alternative point of view. Um, but yeah, it's good to be open-minded to that. And I am, you know. So, but anyway, okay, so 9-11, central banks. Uh, global warming, it seemed, you know, the temperature has been much higher in the past than it is now. And um, I think, you know, I don't know, but it seems like some people say there is no significant global warming going on. There's a thing called the, um, uh, the World Climate Declaration, WCD, um, which was signed by the NOVA last year's, among other people, like 1,600 people have signed it. Some of them climate scientists, others like geologists and you know other scientists and other people just you know you know people i don't know i haven't looked into it but it seems like there's some people there who you know they're not like um just scientists i think um but um you know and i also saw articles being like, oh this thing's a total farce but then other ones you look into it a bit more and it's like ah you know this guy no um last year's winner of the nobel prize for physics is saying um yeah the the climate emergency thing is whole is pseudoscience I'm the scientist here. This is like the media and the UN bureaucrats. They're not scientists. And they're claiming that, oh, it's pseudoscience, you know, to deny, climate denier, how dare you? And it's like, and they're saying like, no, that they're the pseudoscientists. Like they're the deniers. They're the irrational ones. And are they doing it because they want to centralize power and you know, make a bunch of money? Like Al Gore made, you know, millions of dollars. Um, John Kerry made, you know, these people, I don't know exactly how, but I believe they have made money off of this, allegedly. Um, and um, definitely there's a lot of power being conglomerated under the name of fixing the climate crisis, which I don't really um, trust those intentions. But um, so I don't know. Um, so they said there's no significant increase, this guy. There's no significant increase in um, uh, the frequency of natural disasters. There's no significant temperature change, I believe he said. Um, and um, 
that basically this is being used as kind of like shock journalism, um, you know, journalism, which is a dying industry, by the way, because largely because of the internet, there's a lot of free content online. And so a lot of the, the legacy media, they're, they're kind of shrinking and dying. And so they're, they're very desperate to um, maintain any kind of profits and stay afloat. And so it seems like they're going for more emotional reptilian brain content, anger, disgust, fear, kind of stuff, sadness. Um, and um, so, but uh, so he says, you know, there's, and it's basically this thing saying, everyone calm down. There's no climate emergency. The planet isn't boiling. as like some guy from the UN was saying, and people global boiling. It's like, it's really, it's ridiculous and a lot of people have been posting things on social media i've seen where they're like oh my weather app for bbc or whatever says the temperature here is this but on on you know they've got an article on bbc.com or whatever it is maybe not bbc but um that they're saying oh the temperature is this in this place it's so hot and it's like that's different to your weather app like what's that all about and i've seen a few people with those examples so you know i don't know exactly i'm just pointing out anomalies here but so I don't know if there's perhaps there's no significant temperature change at the moment, or maybe there is, and may. Um, but then here's the thing: um, temperature has gone up and down throughout time. Uh, in the medieval period, it was warmer than it is now. Um, there, there was a little ice age, you know, like in the mid 1800s, um, and when the the Thames froze over in winter, you know, um, and uh, we're coming out of the little ice age. So it would make sense if our temperature was in, increasing, actually. Um, I don't know if it is, but it would make sense because we're actually, we've got, um, not looking at Al Gore's chart from An Inconvenient Truth, which is like a very zoomed in part of the graph. If you zoom out from it, if you're being honest, um, which I've seen these graphs and these comparisons, if you zoom out for like, you know, tens of thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years, um, CO2 is very low, is definitely below average of, um, historically in that set, in that time frame. Um, and if there's not enough CO2, it's very dangerous for plants. Plant life will die, collapse. You, plant, CO2 is plant food. Like, um, uh, you know, plants uh, grow faster when there's a lot of CO2 um, uh, in the atmosphere. And um, in a greenhouse, that's, they speed up growth of vegetables and stuff by pumping it full of CO2. Um, so it's not a pollutant. It's healthy. It's, you know, it's part of the, the planet, you know, and the, it's all, uh, regulated through the oceans. I don't understand exactly. There's a great article called Redemption of the Beast by Randall Carlson. Carlson. Uh, Randall Carlson, great guy. Um, and so he's got like, it's like a five-part series of articles online you can look up. And he's got some great um, podcast interviews where he talks about um, climate change. But basically the thing is, um, for sure the t climate has been changing throughout time. We've had five ice ages or whatever and things have gone up and gone down long before humans were doing anything. So natural climate change happens. So then the question is, oh, A, do we have significant climate change right now? Um, B, um, are we causing it or are, are we adding to the natural climate change, right? And C, if we are, then what are we doing to cause it? Is it carbon? Is it something else? Is it, for example, carbon, as far as I can tell from looking into the thing, uh, into, you know, looking into this topic, I've seen charts where, and from several sources where, um, uh, they are correlated, temperature change and carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, but it's the other way around. It's temperature goes up, and then about 800 years later, there's a lag, but I guess it takes time for the, to register in the system or whatever. Um, about 800 years later, um, the levels of CO2 go up. 
and then maybe that continues for a while and then maybe it starts to plateau the temperature plateaus and then about 800 years later the co2 levels start to plateau and then maybe the temperature starts going down then about 800 years later uh, the co2 levels start to go down so it doesn't seem that co2 is causing this and so and you know i've never seen anyone address this uh and it's not like you know it's just like oh you know conspiracy theorists haha <laughs> climate deniers it's like, well you're calling names like surely if you had logical reasons just from a pragmatic point of view you want to get your point across surely if you had logic and evidence you would be putting that forward first before mudslinging and name calling so the fact that they're all like resorting to name calling um and fear and trying to intimidate people into not talking seems like they don't have evidence right um so then um but yeah so you know a is there climate change happening b um is part of it um because there's natural climate change throughout you know, the eons is um any of it anthropogenic or humans causing any of it and c if we are then what are we doing which causes it um and then d um can we uh reverse any of that can we uh safely like uh, reverse, you know, um, or modify what we're doing um, if we are affecting the climate um, significantly. Now, here's a question. This seems unlikely um, based on what I understand, but if it is the case that we are significantly affecting the temperature on the planet, and maybe we are. From what I understand, that's not the case. But um, I've just watched a uh, podcast today, RFK Jr. talking to um, some guy about... Uh, this geoengineering expert um, on RFK's podcast talking about chemtrails, right? Which is like, you know, and you know, RFK is being skeptical, but saying like, well, what do you mean? What's the evidence for this? What's the science? Cause they say this. And he says, you know, in the end he's saying like, yeah, you know, I think it's persuade. And I agree. It was kind of persuasive what the guy's saying, but I don't, I don't know if it's true, but, and that's one of the things where I'm saying this, I'm being very candid with you, but um, you know, part of me is like, oh, you should just say, I don't know, and stick, stick to that. Even though, honestly, I think like, oh, he made, the guy made a very persuasive argument there. Um, but yeah, I haven't looked into it in detail, so it could be totally wrong. Um, but um, that's something where I always thought that's ridiculous, the idea that, you know, th you know people are spraying, you know, aluminum, uh, aluminum or whatever from planes or whatever. Um, but apparently, you know, there's, like, there's, he mentions a bunch of specific things and RFK is like, yeah, that is true, that thing I know, you know, da, da, da. And so it's like, huh, um, you know, like say the aluminium binds to, naturally you don't find it on its own in nature, but it's bound to uh, silicates or something. Um, uh, and so in its free form, uh, you only find after processing by humans. Um, and that you find it, you know, of course, near um, aluminium smelting plants, um, but unlike mercury or other things, it doesn't travel very far. It's got a certain range and then it doesn't go further. And say in, you know, uh, forests up in Northern California where there's no aluminium processing anywhere near. It's full of um, aluminium in the soil there's, and the levels have been increasing significantly. Apparently, this is what he's saying, right? The, this guest on the podcast there. Um, and uh, saying that um, seemingly he's making the case that there's like this global thing where governments are trying to combat climate change by putting these um, particulates into the, the, the atmosphere to block the sun which is um, apparently, you know, and he mentions a bunch of specific things. We're saying, oh, this person from NATO said this at this time. This person's on record saying that. This person's saying this. 
Lyndon Johnson, was it, is on a tape apparently saying, you know, we can control the weather um, and, you know, and he who controls the weather controls the world. Things like that. Now, I haven't looked into these things, but there's this kind of thing where, oh, it seems like it would be hard for this guy to get away with, you know, peddling lies if he's being so specific on so many things. So that's one of the things where I'm like, mm, okay, um, I honestly have better things to look into. I will look into this at some point, I'm sure. But right now, it's not my priority, you know more like okay how do you wean babies off of milk you know, that's more relevant to me right now but um uh but nonetheless it's like okay for now you know honestly my feeling is if i'm being honest with myself and not feeling like oh i don't want to be weird it's like well yeah that seems like plausible given that everything else i know about the shady stuff that were going on in the world and um y yeah make a persuasive case you seem calm you don't seem like a crazy person when you get contradicted, when RFK pushes back against him on certain things, he's, you know, doesn't get like crazy emotional, uptight. He seems pretty reasonable. So, but I don't know. I think, you know, um, yeah, that's, uh, but that's one thing where yeah, um, I would say, yeah, maybe, I don't know, it's possible. Um, but he, so that guy's saying that actually climate change is being um, worsened. Uh, he's saying the temperature change is worse than people think. So that's different to what I've heard from other places, but I would keep an open mind to that too. Like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's right, you know? Um, but, and say RFK thinks, yeah, the climate is warming based upon, you know, he's a naturalist and he spends a lot of time in nature. And he says, you know, since he watches the trees and, you know, the temperature and stuff throughout his life, he's been in nature and it's getting hotter. So maybe that's pr fairly good evidence, I guess, if, you know, he seems like he's got pretty good memory and good judgment and um, integrity. So maybe that is the case. But so anyway, um, Climate change, um, I don't know exactly what's going on. Um, is the is it global warming? You know, is the temperature getting hotter around the world significantly? I do know um, their projections have been wrong over and over and over again. Like the the ICCP is that yeah um, international whatever it is. Um, um, so international climate change panel, I don't know, um, or intergovernmental climate change panel. Hmm. Um, but, uh, they, um, a, you know, they, uh, censor, there's many dissidents, scientists who don't agree with what they say. There's also scientists who have said, Hey, remove my name from these reports. Cause you changed what I said and politicized science. Um, and there's, uh, um, also, um, what was I going to say there before? Um, uh, yeah, their models like, uh, have been off, you know, say oh it's going to be 10 years time we're going to be in this situation and then we're not there and then they say it again for 30 years apparently they've been saying we'll be in disaster in 10 years time did they still expect us to believe it now about the next 10 years um and um uh, it does seem there's a lot of alarmism in the media about this um also the iccp um and governments around the world they give funding to scientists for studies involving climate change so uh, if you're a scientist and you're trying it's hard to get funding and if you're like, oh, I'm going to do a study which is related to frogs, it's hard to get funding. But if you go, oh, frogs and climate change, oh, here's some funding. There's a lot of funding for it. So a lot of it builds into this confirmation bias, um, and um, which is not the scientific method. That's not science, right? That's religion, basically, um, or that's dogma and um, confirmation bias. Um, so, and then also, you know, there's a lot of scientists who they know their career, they've got families and stuff. Maybe they're trying to wean a baby from milk onto solids. And yeah, it doesn't really seem like a great idea to run up against the empire and say, oh yeah, this is all wrong. And then you 
most people won't even believe you probably and then you lose your career and you know maybe your wife has some questions about your you know judgment or whatever and you know it could be a real problem your family you could you know those pressures could break you know relationships and it's a serious thing um a lot of people would be conscious that it's wrong i this is my guess right there's a lot of people who are like yeah i know there's something funny going on with this stuff it's not science it's not honest you know the energy is wrong for starters it's all control and domination and name calling it's not like openness and calmness and logic you know um so but i guess a lot of the scientists who are even putting forward these studies and putting their names to the icp stuff like um would be like yeah this is wrong but um i'm not willing to go against it and there'll be others who are like um subconsciously they're aware that it's wrong but they repress the awareness or they run from it they don't they let them self it's like the shadow as jung would call it carl jung you know and they're just like you know pretending because they don't want to face it you know um and then there'd be others who genuinely believe in it you know um so yeah but i think that one thing is climate change you know distracts from all these other environmental problems you know people often you know say like oh what's the biggest environmental problem facing the planet oh climate change oh yeah and what's the next two um deforestation oh yep yeah. cutting down the forest yep yeah. good true what else it took you a while but okay good what else nothing <laughs> you know it's like okay so there's so many other more urgent problems like if they are sp- spraying aerosol um like aluminium in the geoengineering stuff like you know which apparently Bill Gates is heavily invested in um and um then that would be a that would, that's bad that's very bad for your brain aluminium right then okay that would that's bit that'd be a problem i don't know if that is happening i hope it's not probably is unfortunately it seems but i don't i don't know um but uh with um the uh where was I? Um, with I think climate change, I think I was talking about drinking water. Actually, yeah. So let's see. Um, uh, yeah. Okay, I lost my train of thought. No bother. So anyway, um, yeah, okay, different environmental problems. There we go. Um, ah, humility brings knowledge, eh? Um, so um, like uh, acidification of the oceans from fertilizer runoff um, uh, and um, overfishing, collapsing the fishing stocks, like dr- um, dragnet fishing, um, dredging, um, or, yeah, dragnets. Um, uh, heavy metals in rivers like mercury, um, you know, um, all the USA, apparently you can't, according to RFK again, um, you can't fish anymore in the lakes and the rivers of the USA. But I think apparently it's all, all those waterways are contaminated with mercury, which is toxic for your brain. Um, or is it, um, maybe other heavy metals too. Um, you know, oil spills, um, uh, what else are there? Plastics in the ocean, killing fish, EMF radiation, from phones and stuff is actually non-ionizing radiation. It was cleared originally for like um, use to roll out for, throughout society. They said, yeah, it doesn't cause DNA damage. Um, but then they found out eventually, you know, apparently uh, they're like, oh, actually, um, uh, well, I know they did find this out, but apparently it was later um, that um, 
they, it does it causes, it causes uh, oxidative stress on the body, which in turn causes DNA damage. So indirectly it does also, and now it's everywhere. And apparently um, uh, EMFs, like from all electrical things, like the microphone in front of me, the computer, you know, they're emitting them to electromagnetic fields to some level. Apparently uh, they're actually really serious, um, depending, you know, of course there's levels, but like um, if you got your phone to your head, you know, people getting cancers, apparently a bunch of people get cancers from that. Um, and uh, that um, it apparently opens the, um, degrades the, my the mitochondria and opens the blood brain barrier. Right. And, you know, I heard there was some uh, Danish students who did some study where, yeah, put it, two carrots, grow them, you know, chop a carrot, put the end in a bit of water, see if it grows. And they put one next to a Wi-Fi router to see what would happen, you know, what router or router. And it died. The other one grew fine. The one next to the router died. So I turn off my Wi-Fi every night, you know, or if I leave the house for like six hours, we're going out, I turn off the Wi-Fi for my plants, you know. Um, so when in doubt, you know, it's probably, you know, it seems pretty clear. Um, anyway, um, so th these are other environmental problems, you know, um, yeah, you know, and just, you know, GMO spreading, you know, GMO, um, we have barely test these things. The bees, you know, neonics and other, you know, pesticides, um, which are, you know, devastating insect populations um, and their lust birds and causing collapse at, you know, ch chain reactions. Um, there's a bunch of environmental things that, you know, climate change just doesn't overlook. So, but yeah, anyway, so climate change is one thing where I think the whole thing, there's definitely a movement to kind of the whole net zero thing. It's like, oh yeah, my question I was going to ask you is, is it fair to sacrifice if it, um, even if we could, even if we were endangering the planet, which seems unlikely, and even if we could save it by going to zero, net zero emissions by like 2030 or whatever, which is insane, very way too fast, um, then um, would if that came at the cost of causing millions of humans to die, would that be right? Would that be evil? Um, I think that's, I mean, if it was required to save the planet, then... I think you go, okay, you first. Like voluntarily, if you want to say, yeah, humans who want to stop using fossil fuels, all right, we're going to set up a system where you can live in cabins and, you know, do that. That would be fair, voluntary. Forcing people to do it? No, that's that's evil. Um, and, uh, you know, basically the UN, some studies were done, I think, for the Millennium Goals. I think there's something from Jordan Peterson. He talked about, like, that they found that the best way to deal with climate change was to actually make uh, energy as cheap as possible, um, like fossil fuels, right? Make them widely accessible to the world's poor because basically uh, energy equals work and you need energy. It's a cost everyone has. And the cheaper the energy, the more work you can do, the more um, you can, more productive you can be, the more you can save. And then the more you can invest in yourself and your family and your community and build businesses, build economies. And so basically if we made energy cheap and available throughout the world, people would get wealthier and as people get wealthier, their concern, the field of uh, their circle of concern widens. Instead of if you're just trying to get food for the day without starving, fend off starvation for one more day, then for you and your family, then you don't care what's in the river. You don't care if you're polluting the river to get that food or you're chopping down the last tree, you know, to, to burn the wood for warmth, you know, you, that's, you know, you're doing your duty to, within your, what needs to be done. Um, but once you're a bit wealthier and you've got enough food in your bellies, then you start to think, well, what else is going on around my children, my family here? And oh, what's in the river which we're drinking from? And, you know, what's in the air we're breathing? And 
you naturally your environment starts to expand and you start to care for it. Um, and, you know, it's the same thing. So you look at all these billionaires in Davos or whatever. It's like, oh, the rich apparently <laughs> care about the environment. And mostly it seems from a selfish point of view, like, oh, we need to protect ourselves, you know, or we are going to die. It's like, also, it's not about generosity. It's just about self-interest. Okay. Um, but, uh, or not about love, you know, and reverence for Mother Nature. Um, but, like, uh, the fact is, yeah, you know, how did you get there? Because you got rich. So we help everyone else get rich. And this is what they, the studies showed, apparently, is that, uh, that, you know, everyone would start taking care of the environment better. And, you know, um, we would move beyond, you know, these um, environmentally harmful practices. Instead, they're, what they're doing is the exact opposite. They're basically increasing um, the harms to the environment by making, you know, just saying, making um, fossil fuels more expensive. You know, oh, you have to go to green energy. You can't use this, can't do that disrupting things, bringing in too much bureaucracy, making things more complicated and less efficient. And, um, you know, countless millions of people around the world are suffering from this. Um, so now this isn't meant to be about climate change this episode, so I'll, I'll stop talking about it now. But basically, um, yeah, that'd be one thing where I think the whole climate change thing seems to be a very big cult. Um, and, you know, I don't know exactly where the truth lies in it. I know climate has changed throughout history. I'm sure it will keep changing. Um, but are we contributing to that? And if we are, is it significant or is it like, oh, an ant contributing to the spin of the moon, you know? Although there's no ants on the moon yet. Um, congratulations, India, getting to the moon. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think that would be something. So we got 9-11, central banks, climate change, chemtrails. Um, what else to mention? Uh, COVID, the whole, whole thing with COVID is extremely fishy, like, I believe, again, you can look into it yourself. Uh, you could look up Majid Nawaz, M-A-A-J-I-D, space N-A-W-A-Z, uh, wait, um, A-Z, yeah, N-A-W-A-Z, Majid Nawaz. Uh, great uh, journalist. Um, him, also, you know, um, yeah, um, what's his name? Alex Berenson, who wrote Pandemia, the former um, New York Times journalist who, Basically talked about the pandemic and like, hey, this is crazy. What's actually happening? Um, and um, yeah, you could go on Substack and look at, you know, you can find real journalists who are being independent and they're not controlled by their newspapers. Editors who are, you know, newspapers are nowadays basically owned by all the major, say, around the world, I believe, but like um, especially in the USA, which has a very large cultural influence. But um, all around the world, the very small number of corporations now control all of the the main um, the mainstream media, and they also have a very powerful um, influence over governments because they can provide the election funding that gets the politicians in. The politicians choose the bureaucrats and the judges, and the whole and the you know the think tanks get money from you know these corporations. Money is very powerful, you know, and it kind of guides. The, the ecosystem and what the, the zeitgeist, what people believe in. Um, and so uh, there are, um, we retrace our steps here, folks. Um, the, or we, we just follow blindly forward and let the universe give it to us. Um, uh, so COVID, right. Um, so, the, uh, there's a lot of money made, it was an enormous wealth transfer from the middle class up to the billionaires, um, crushed the middle class all around the world, and the billionaires just got richer and richer. 
a lot of them, you know, the people who are lobbying, um, you know, for censorship of, you know, or censoring or, you know, lobbying the government to censor um, people, social media platforms, Amazon and stuff, um, Google. A lot of these big, you know, big tech benefiting enormously from keeping people in at home um, and uh, meanwhile censoring people who are saying, hey, we shouldn't be at home, this doesn't make sense. Lockdowns don't make sense. Um, and this was all proven true, you know, the, the whole um, vaccine debacle, um, you know, which proved at this point, as far as I understand it, those who are vaccinated are more likely to catch COVID now. Um, and the whole thing, there was lies throughout the thing. It was never proved, to, to even studied to prevent transmission. And apparently the whole thing was actually run in the USA, the Moderna and Pfizer, they were just putting their names to the um, vaccines as a, but it was actually run by the military um, under um, emergency youth authorization. And the whole thing is insane. And now that's where it's like, that gets pretty deep, but it seems like, I'll tell you what I think, it's, you know, this is what this whole episode is meant to be about, right? I don't know, but I think the whole COVID thing is a bunch of very powerful people who are disconnected from um, kind of humanist love. I'm sure they love their families in their own way and their tribes, um, their social circles. But um, some. it seems the best explanation is that some very um, powerful and very intelligent, very organized, but very um, cruel and very uh, bad, so to speak. Um, their souls are good, but you know their minds are very bad, and they believe they are their minds. They're spiritually unconscious, you know, like you know, which you could call evil people, you know, um, so to speak. Basically, some powerful, you know, um, dominating people um, and networks thereof, um, and their the systems they control and have developed control over over generations um, uh, deployed um, a psychological war on the planet and um, to take power and to accelerate uh, a pre-existing process of centralization of political control of the world um, in a unitary system where elites of various areas are cooperating to create, you know, basically working together to get this prize of, you know, the system which will benefit them all enormously and allow them all much more power over their own areas. Um, so it's almost like the elites of all these countries stepping back to back, like in gladiator to kind of unite against everyone else. Um, and, you know, maybe not all the elites are involved. Maybe North Korea is not involved or something, or, you know, certain, maybe Iran's not involved. I don't know the details, but, uh, and I, you know, again, if you want information, you can ask me, but um, you can look into, you know, um, or kind of like Matt Taibbi talking about the censorship that went on with the FBI and CIA and military intelligence involvement in censoring discourse throughout COVID. Um, you know, the pharmaceutical industry and the media who were saying, oh, anti-vaxxers and stuff. Um, they're all owned by BlackRock, State Street and Vanguard, these huge, um, you know, uh, investment funds. And who, you know, also own the uh, arms contractors who um, the military industrial complex have a very large ownership there, which was developing these, you know, vaccines seemingly. But um, so there's all these incestuous relationships of control and profit and motive. Um, and, you know, it didn't come from a pangolin or whatever, you know, there's no evidence for that. Like the whole thing is came, there's proof that, you know, very convincing proof that um, it almost certainly came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the COVID, and was developed by gain of function research um, through Anthony Fauci, who was told to stop doing this research under the Obama administration, and then through NIH 
funded it out to contractors through EcoHealth Alliance and a guy called Peter Dazak, I think, to um, China to get it done there. Um, and um, then lied about it under oath to Congress and still hasn't been gotten in trouble for it. Also, Jeffrey Epstein's client list is still being kept secret by the judges for some reason, or the judge, um, first person ever to be found guilty of trafficking underage girls to nobody. Um, but uh, anyway, um, and so the, the COVID thing, um, and if you just look at you know, the new normal, you know, you, uh, you know, uh, save hashtag save lives. The whole thing was a very slick psychological operation. It's come out through Majin Awaz. He's got his Rogan, Joe Rogan appearances are very good. And he's talked about like how, you know, he shows there, runs you through it on screen. Like and he's got, I got the receipts, Joe, I got the receipts. You know, um, how, um, you know, uh, members of elite British military psychological operations units were embedded in Twitter and stuff. Um, and during this time and, the the whole thing seeming yeah again i'm not going to give you all part of me wants to just try to persuade you with these information that at least something's going on um but i'll just leave it there and say look there's so many weird things about the COVID thing they kept changing the story changing moving the goalposts and the whole thing just feels totally wrong um and so many more people were killed by the lockdowns um marriages ruined domestic violence caused uh, sexual abuse child abuse um crime, um, uh, overdoses, um, heart attacks, cancer, which, you know, could have been diagnosed, but wasn't. And then from the vaccines there's an enormous amount of inju injuries, you know? Um, and, uh, so, you know, um, and I believe these things are all established. Um, that's one thing I'd say, I'm pretty sure that's all true. Um, and, you know, so many people got the vaccines and have no problems, but there's a, a, a crazy, like something like 300 times more than normal um, side effects. Not like normal like vaccines where there's, you know, some side effects for some people, but it seems like, you know, scale orders of magnitude more for this. Um, and why would people do that? Well, I mean, there's a lot of money made off of this terrifying people um, and gaining control, you know, political control, which still hasn't been seated back. They've still got the authority to do this again. And some people say they're planning to do that. Um, the WHO trying to get power through this pandemic treaty, the way they'd be able to declare a pandemic unilaterally, unilaterally, and then all the governments of the world, formerly sovereign governments, would have to follow suit and do you know what they're told, basically. But they're all controlled, WHO and these governments are already controlled by the same people, I think. But um, it would be uh, formalized, legalized sort of, sort of um, farce, you know, to make this seem legitimate um so yeah the whole covid thing i think um uh was yeah like um pretty basically a power grab a global coup d'etat as Majid calls it um now um and yeah i think uh, the the death rate was very low from it as well um compared like but you know look people die it's horrible i don't you know um I don't want to die right now. I mean, eventually I'll die. I'm, I'd say more or less at peace with that. Um, but I don't want to die. You know, I, I'm enjoying life. Um, and, you know, I don't want people I love to die. So, um, so it's, you know, anyone dying is, you know, um, sad for the, the people around them, you know, even if it's natural and part of life. And, you know, we're going back to where we came from. But, um, and I don't believe it's the end. But, um, 
nonetheless, like, you know, um, for living here and not living under the ghostly shadow of fear, we need to be honest and say, look, the death rates from COVID seem to be um, basically the same as the flu, or similar to the flu, very similar. And that was entered into Hansard as a matter of parliamentary record in the, the UK. Like what, you know, there's a question, I think, like what is the rate? And they had to say, you know, and so, you know, like that, you know, that they're not meant to be lying there and they have no interest in lying, you know. Um, so they have to say, okay, here's the thing. And I think it was 0.1%, uh, um, something like that. Or was it 0.01%? I think it was 0.096% um, or something. Uh, so basically like a percent of a percent. Whereas they were saying, oh, it's 1% of people or it's, you know, 5% or it's like, you know, and there's skewing the death rate. They're saying cases with COVID, not... So again, I won't go into too many details there, but like, you know, people dying with COVID from other things, you know, were counted as a COVID death. So COVID fishy stuff. What else do I think that you might be like, what? You're kidding me. Um, I think aliens are probably real. Um, you, you know, US military has been saying that recently. They could be trying another psychological operation, um, you know, who, laying the groundwork for something or other, who knows. But um, yeah, I think um, the universe is probably full of life and it seems like John Mack, the Harvard, uh, uh, Harvard psychologist, interviewed you know a bunch of alien abductees he called them experiencers because a lot of them they didn't say they were taken up in a craft they said or oh, it happened while i was in bed or i was driving and it happened i just lost time and i don't know what happened and a lot of them they would some would say yeah it seemed like i was in a spaceship others would say no i was like i was in a room a medical room and the others were like oh i was like in a cave and it was kind of like jeweled walls and, you know stuff and um all of them are very similar to um but he said they seem totally sane except for this one thing they said there had been had these experiences and um a lot of them you know they didn't seem to be very happy that it was happening they were resisting it but it was happening it wasn't like they're looking for attention um and then a bunch of them had rather profound messages where yeah the beings told me we have to protect the earth and nature and we have to elevate our consciousness and i was like ah oh, this is pretty strange and so that's pretty weird he's like yeah they don't say, he said he by the end he believed in it like yeah these i think that this challenged my view of reality but i believe yeah there's some sort of Maybe not in physical space, but yeah, maybe also, or or it could be that, or and or, um, in other dimensions, these beings in other dimensions which we can't see, um, and and so he kind of came to that point of view, and then separately you have Rick, Doctor Rick Strassman, who did research on DMT, dimethyltryptamine, which is the strongest psychedelic known to man, um, or woman, no, man in the meaning humans, right, um. And uh, he, you know, gave them, you know, levels of, you know, um, this psychedelic drug and, you know, people had these experiences, you know, psych hallucinations and beautiful geometric patterns, gave people more. They'd have these, you know, spiritual experiences of like your oneness with reality and, you know, like oh, overcoming addictions and uh, great epiphanies and stuff. Gave them really high doses and um, they would experience being like sent off in a, a rocket through like a, you know, psychedelic glowing chrysanthemum celestial sky flower bring into some other dimension and there'd be beings waiting for them who would say like oh we're so glad you found this technology and this is amazing we can communicate and they'd be trying to talk to them and show them shapes and doing impossible things and um just seeming to trying to communicate to them um and some of them were uh, not friendly also they counted some one of them encountered like these crocodile kind of beings that raped him and he like cut he was a hippie and he cut his hair and he like never apparently like just went straight and straight and narrow then on like but um the thing is these volunteers they weren't in communication with each other and they were all experienced meditators 
Um, so they had that basic ability to be calm. Um, and uh, uh, Rick Strassman, you know, they, they were all, he was like, what is going on? They're all saying, all of them, when you give them high doses, are reporting these experiences. I think all of them or nearly all of them, but I think it was all of them. Um, and he's like, this is crazy. Is this like a hallucination in the mind? Is this like a dream kind of thing or is this real? But the, the experiences, they would all say like, it was realer than real. It's like, this is the dream. That was realer. That was like waking up from the dream. And it's like, okay. Um, and shockingly also, it's the reason I mentioned it just now is like, it uh, seems almost identical to um, what John Mack was recording of these people saying they've been abducted by aliens. So seemingly, possibly these aliens, so to speak, are actually just in another dimension. Maybe they can come into the physical dimension too, but are just in another dimension and uh, seemingly have been documented from two different scientific standpoints. Um, and people all around the world have um, these experiences. Um, and throughout history, these experiences are there. You've, you know, you know, flying saucers or discs in the sky being spotted throughout time. And there's picked paintings and engravings from, you know, ages ago, Japan and, you know, Europe and all over the place, you know, Africa talk about the sky people and stuff. But then also um, the uh, Graham Hancock has a lecture called aliens, angels, elves and ayahuasca. I think talking about how when you take ayahuasca, which contains DMT, um, uh, um, ayahuasca, uh, gives you these long trips where you experience, you know, these visions and you can almost everyone, you know, comes into encounters seemingly intelligent beings who are like, you know, like the DMT thing. But then, so the shamans would call them spirits, but then they seem, you know, he basically, Graham shows how throughout in various cultures throughout time, it seems that it's the same entities being described from different angles. So our culture calls them aliens because we're a technological culture. We imagine them out there in spaceships the shamans, the you know hunter-gatherer kind of tribes, um, called them spirits, um, and then you know the the Irish called them you know fairies, and then you know or you know they're called elves in your uh, you know Europe elves or whatever, um, or um, angels in you know Christianity or whatever you know, and so and they're all very similar experiences. The people who seem to encounter these things, so that's one thing where it's like ah. Oh, Maybe they're just all around us, and that's just the way it is. You know, um, I think that's, I, I think that's true. Probably, um, I haven't had a personal experience, but I think so. Um, let's see what else. Um, let's mention that. Oh, I mentioned. Oh, yeah, vaccines before. Like, I think vaccines. Maybe there's some vaccines which are good for you. I wouldn't rule that out, possibly. But from my understanding of doing a lot of research into it. I think actually these are going to be seen as like lobotomies or leaching or um, electroshock therapy, you know, the, the I think there's some beneficial electroshock stuff you, they do these days, maybe tiny little pulses, but you know, this like the Towns Van Zandt, Van Zandt guy, like the musician, um, he, when he was younger had, um, I think electroshock therapy and it like fried his brain. Like he lo lost all his long-term memory, like a lot of his long-term memory. Um, and, um, so, you know, there's all these things throughout time where, you know, the doc the medical profession has been doing things and then we find out, oh, doctors are only human too. And um, like anything, ego can get involved. Um, people can be, oh, this is right. This is what I've been telling people for 40 years. It can't be wrong, you know. I'm not going to change my mind and look stupid um, or, you know, lose my job. Someone else gets my job, you know. Um, or just people who just generally believe and they haven't seen, haven't noticed the evidence, you know, otherwise. Um, I think vaccines are probably like that. 
a few, you know, again, you can look into it. Look at children's health defense and interviews with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. talking about vaccines. He does a great job. If you watch Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on Joe Rogan, the Joe Rogan experience recently, I think you'll find like, A, he should be president and um, B, um, like you'll learn a lot about a lot of things. Um, de- it's incredibly detailed knowledge about so many topics and he's so humble the way he presents it, but it's very clear. Um, and he says what he doesn't know. He's like, they say, oh, what do you think about, what are they, do- why are they doing this? And he'll say, I don't, I prefer not to try to look into people's heads. I try to stick with evidence, you know? Which is funny because he's accused of the opposite, you know, of being, you know, crazy or whatever. But um, but yeah, and so he talks about vaccines, does a very good job. But in a sh- to, in a nutshell, I would say a few things just to mention, make you aware of from the get go, is um, uh, diseases. We're told vaccines saved it from all these diseases, um, but actually, all those diseases were already in decline before the vaccines were introduced. Go online, you can see Google images, you can see charts showing when the vaccines were introduced, it's like when 80% of the reduction to date of the disease prevalence was already achieved. And there was a 1951, I think, um, guy, I just took a photo of it recently because I was going to look into it more. Um, I think RFK had mentioned it too, but I saw it on Twitter um, where it's uh, saying, a, a guy who wrote a, a book like, where they're basically, I think, nutritionists, there's some sort of you know scientists who are saying um, the vaccinology the vaccinologists are going to try to claim, and they are claiming, you know, um, the that they or do they say they will or they are? I'm not sure. Um, uh, victory for you know and the credit for you know reducing the diseases, but actually it wasn't them. It was basically engineering solutions. It was um, improved farming methods, providing more and better food, um, uh, roads with linking, you know. And um, you know tra- transportation stuff, allowing you know oranges from you know tropic you know more temperate climates to be taken up to northern climates where people could get the vitamin C from it. Um, uh, you know public sanitation, you know like um, um, this kind of stuff. You know um, basically uh, engineering improvements um, and not at all seemingly nothing or almost nothing from vaccines and possibly even some evidence that, you know, vaccines, um, yeah, like uh, were causing negative effects. And I would guess that's probably the case. Let's see here. Um, what is that guy? Here it is. Um, so uh, vaccination proved useless and dangerous from 45 years of registration statistics. Alfred R. Wallace, LLD. So I'm going to look at that later. But anyway, um and so in a nutshell, like the old vaccines, they were live virus vaccines. Um, so they, um, they could spread um, the, the virus. Like you, maybe you get a bit of the virus and it, let's say the vaccines work. I'm not sure if they actually do. I've heard people say that they don't um, with, in given reasons, which I can't totally remember right now. But um, so, but, uh, and, you know, statistics I've looked into, which say this, but um Let's say, give you know the devil his due. Let's say, um, you know, be generous here and just say, uh, steel man, the argument. Let's say, okay, um, vaccines do work there, um, but uh, the um, so uh, the uh, when they like and they were introduced after you know all this benefit was achieved. But so let's say um, even if they are, they were doing something beneficial to some extent, right? The live even if the live virus vaccines was helping you protect you from a disease, um, 
then they, it also it could mutate in your body and spread to other people and then be more dangerous and you know kill other people. So there was a problem in that. They were, so they were stopped with the live virus vaccines. Um, so instead they killed the virus and injected it in you. But then it didn't do anything. It didn't provide an immune response. As Aubrey Marcus says um, in his you know, interview with RFK Jr., which was good, good podcast, um, he says it's like you know, a bunch of dead soldiers wash up on the beach and you know, the country is the military like, do we need to mobilize a response? Uh, no, all good. These, these guys are dead. No problem. You know, like the body's intelligent and knows what's going on. And so there's no immune response, no antibody response. Um, so what the modern vaccines do is they put something called an adjuvant, A-D-J-U-V-A-N-T, an adjuvant into the, um, the vaccine, which is extreme, something extremely toxic, usually mercury or aluminium. And this is still happening now. Um, for sure, mercury ones, Bill Gates is giving to millions of people in Africa, as we speak, um, all, been doing it for ages um and aluminium too i think and in um for sure still um the vaccines which you know people were trying to give my daughter um are uh they have aluminium in them um and then uh, i think some of them have mercury too all the pregnancy ones I, I believe one some of them in ireland still have mercury i think time aerosol um but for sure like aluminium right which is actually uh, just as bad, I think. Um, either just as bad or worse or only a little bit better. I can't remember which, but very bad. <laughs> and um, so basically, they're, but, you know, they're put, the whole point is that they need an adjuvant to create an immune response so that your body will remember. It, it confuses, um, presuming this stuff works, right? What happens is the, your body um, confuses the um, toxicity from the adjuvant, like say aluminium, with the um, dead virus. And so next time when you, that virus, you, you're exposed to the virus, the um, uh, immune response is activated. But the thing is, it's extremely toxic. You're putting extremely toxic substances into your body, like aluminium. And what's that doing? And it turns out, apparently, it seems the vaccine, you know, the, uh, industry, they don't really, they're, they're one of the only... Um, I think they're the only medical product which doesn't have to do sa pre-trial -tri um, safety uh, testing, pre-licensure um, uh, safety testing, because originally they were as a, under a military thing with the USA, where they were, you know, in case like the Russians attack, you know, with some biological weapon, the US would be able to extract, take the thing, extract, isolate it, make a vaccine against it, and quickly deploy it to all the Americans. So they needed to it to be immune to um, uh, safety testing. Um, but then, um, basically, they were the, the vaccine was uh, schedule was massively expanded over time, and it became a huge. Um, and basically, the, the, it was about to go out, about to go out of business, and they all got together and went to the U.S. government, like in 1980, mid 80s, and said, "Look, we're going to stop making vaccines." The U.S. government's like, "No, no, 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 we need you in case there's a, you know biological attack, you know." Um, and uh, they said, we, "You know, they're unavoidably unsafe." These, they were the direct quote, you know. Vaccines are unavoidably unsafe, so you need to provide full li um, liability, uh, remove liability for us. So if someone gets hurt from these pr products we make, then the taxpayers with a vaccine court will pay, judge the claims and pay, pay out those injuries. We're not going to be responsible. Otherwise, we're not making them anymore because it's too expensive. And the government agreed and made um, uh, 1986, I believe, the Vaccine Act. I can't remember the exact name, something like that. Um, and... Uh, basically it removes liability. So then 
all these huge corporations said, oh, wait a minute, we can make these products, which everyone has to take because they're scheduled, they're mandated, like for school and stuff. Um, so we don't even have to do marketing. And um, there's no danger. We can make them as quickly and recklessly as we want. And there's no one, we don't have to pay for it. And, and then they made a lot of money and then they started lobbying more and more the government and expanding the schedule like by like 20 times, making all these new vaccines, um, and which people don't even need, like things like hepatitis B, where it's like, unless you're sleeping with a, you know, some prostitute who's been around a lot or, you know, um, t taking, sharing needles, then you're not going to get it, but they give it to babies. So what's that all about? And all of these contain adjuvants, which are extremely toxic and they get into the, like, basically, um, the, they're, Apparently, the vaccinologists, they don't actually look at or where they got rid of the toxicologists, you know, from the industry, basically, and said, like, yeah, because we you know, don't need them. Um, and the toxicologists would be like, where is the where are these the aluminium, the adjuvants? Where is that ending up? Is it going out through the feces? Is it get, being sweat out? Is it going into the blood? Is it going to the, the brain? What's happening to it? Um, and they couldn't answer. You know, they, they didn't care. They didn't know. Whatever. Um, it's just up. Oh, the more toxic it is, the better immune response we get, and the, that's good for getting these vaccines licensed. That's the one thing we need to think about. Um, and so, and apparently there's a lot of connection with allergies where if people have gotten an adjuvant in their system from having a vaccine, and then they're stroking a cat or they're eating peanuts or they're with you know flowers, then the body confuses that input with the, um, just like they would with a dead virus, with the immune, um, the toxicity from the adjuvant. And so you could get allergic to cats, get allergic to peanuts or whatever, um, potentially. Um, also, it's connected to seemingly, yeah, like I believe, like again, you can look up the evidence if you want. I can give you, ask me if you want more evidence, things to point you to. But um, uh, autism and developmental disorders, um, neurodevelopmental disorders, learning um, dis uh, difficulties and disorders, of course, not all of them, but, you know, a lot of them. There's been an enormous increase um, autism is like has skyrocketed in the last uh, in like recent years, recent decades since the vaccine schedule has massively increased. It's not just the U.S. Again, they've got a very powerful influence all around the world, and it's throughout the Western world this has been happening, and even beyond. You know, um, and so um, allergies have skyrocketed, autism skyrocketed, and other you know um, neurodevelopmental disorders, and um, uh, yeah, learning difficulties like ADD and stuff like this. Um, so, um, you know, and this like say the the be like say RFK Jr. said he got into the vaccine thing because all these mothers kept he was you know environmental lawyer you know decades and um, uh, suing polluters for dumping mercury into you know the water and getting mercury into the fish and he knew you know um, it was like pregnant mothers were not were being told you mustn't eat. Um, the fish because there's mercury it's dangerous for the baby but then at the, the, these mothers kept coming up and sitting in the front row of his lectures as he'd be going around t talking to people about you know raising awareness of you know pollution what's going on trying to resist it they would kind of go there and they'd say you know to me you know wait get that arrive early and then wait and then after it they would talk to him and say why aren't you talking about vaccines you know and they basically say like why is it okay? and then eventually you know Okay, he said he's dragged kicking and screaming into it. And then I got a lot of my information through him, but then I've checked it with all the other sources, done my own research. But um, he speaks very eloquently and clearly um, and knowledgeably about this. But basically they were saying, why is it okay? Why is it not okay for a pregnant woman to eat fish with mercury, but then we're going to inject her with these vaccines which contain mercury? And, you know, it's a good question. And um, I think that still, given that aluminium is 
rough, you know, similarly toxic to mercury, you can't just say, oh yeah, but that's the past. You know, a mercury is still being given to pregnant women and people in general, but also in, even when it's where and when it's being replaced with others, like they they need something toxic. Otherwise, it doesn't do anything. If it's not a live virus vaccine, and I think almost none of them are anymore, um, um, then they it needs it will have no effect unless there's something toxic with it. That's just the basic crux of it, adjuvants. So I think these are going to be like we're going to look, and then the things we've done studies comparing vaccinated and unvaccinated kids. Unvaccinated are healthier. In Africa, they did like I think Ghana. They had thirty years of medical records, and they showed that actually. Um, I think the, the, the vaccinated people for certain things, uh, they see, I think it said that they had a lower rate of, um, it, it seems like they were having lower rates of that particular illness that it was vaccinated against, but they died much, much more often because in general their immune systems and their health was compromised. But, so those who were vaccinated were less healthy by a, a you know, significant, statistically significant margin. And you know, I could go on and on and on. But like basically I think uh, this whole thing, and if you look at the articles talking about it, it's all again hateful, derogatory, you know, name, you know, throwing, um, name calling, and not a lot of science. And I say, oh, you know, that study about con the connection to autism was debunked. And it's like, yeah, but I've seen like twenty videos of mothers saying, "This is my autistic child. He he was totally, you know, speaking fine and stuff." And then, you know, the day he got the vaccine, the next day um, he started acting weird and he never came back. Now, you know, you can say, "Oh, Jamie, you know, you're being uh, irresponsible." Am I, you know, like, or are we being irresponsible if we ignore all these parents who have kind of lost their children to, you know, their children still there, but like there's a wall between them and their child. The child can never fully flower into their full potential. It's pretty um, tragic, I would say, and disrespectful if we don't acknowledge the truth here, you know. And maybe you have a different opinion on the truth. That's all good. I'm open-minded. Could be wrong about the things as well. I'm going to turn on the light. One moment. I must have been giving details given I need to turn on the light. Um, the sun's gone down. But um, let's see what else. So, yeah, vaccines, I think. Basically, you know, like, yeah, a lot of the articles, they'll be very, like, not so much using logic but emotion, which isn't a good sign. And then often also I notice from reading through them, there'll be all these slights of hand where it'll say, say uh, saying something about, and I went into, I did a lot of research cause, you know, when I had my baby because I, of course, want to protect my child, um, and um, in doing a lot of the, re so we didn't give her uh, any um, because I don't think they're good for um, people actually after what I've learned, although I got a lot of vaccines when I was a kid, um, and uh, even when I was an adult, I got um, some, but um, uh, but yeah, and um, uh, so for example, like reading articles where it'd be saying, oh yeah, you know, this proves this. And the article I'd be reading was from the point of view of like, yeah, pro-vaccine. But I'd go read through it, you know. I have to read all sides of these things to figure out what's going on. Be very open-minded, you know. Um, uh, thankfully, my um, beautiful uh, partner, as a uh, partner in crime, um, was kind of having the, the opposing view. And so that was very good. We were able to kind of tease it out together by checking each other and, you know, questioning each other and um, so that was great. But um, anyway, um, I would notice, say, from these articles that, like, there'd be something where it's saying, oh, it's rock solid, and then there'd be one word where it would say, may cause blah, blah, blah. And I would be thinking, like, look, if you had evidence, you would say 
does cause? Why are you saying may? You know, and there'd be these tiny things like that where there's all these little holes. I think it's a house of cards, basically. I think, you know, I don't. So that'd be my opinion. All right. Anything else? Let's see. I'll try and keep these a bit more concise now for you. Um, oh, yeah. I think uh, Atlantis was real. <laughs> okay. I think uh, who knows what they called themselves, but a, an advanced um, anti-diluvian civilization. So pre-flood civilization. The sea levels rose by 100 meters, 400 feet like uh, 12,800 years ago or so, or 11,600, one of the two, uh, one of the ends of the Younger Dryas, which is 12,800 to 11,600 years ago. And seemingly the earth was struck by a, a debris stream from a, a giant comet um, and um, from the Torrid Meteor Stream. And it um, basically obliterated a lot of the earth, caused continental-wide wildfires, uh, you know, made all the, the um, greater megafauna extinct, like the woolly mammoth, saber-toothed tigers, the American lion, American horse, um, all kinds of things. Um, and uh, a lot of whom, when you look at them, they die, they all look like very sudden deaths, like they're, they're back on their haunches and their, their legs are just snapped. And they've got, they're frozen with undigested plant matter in their belly. It's like the temperature froze very, very quickly. You know, how are they eating plant matter if it was frozen already? And then now it's frozen within, like, and um, it seems from the record temperature shifted by, like, you know, huge amounts, um, much more than global warming is predicting, within, like, a few years or even, like, I don't know, I can't remember. Look at Randall Carlson for that stuff. And Graham Hancock, who talks about the Atlanta stuff, like, with the fingerprints of the gods and then um, um, uh, magicians of the gods. Magicians of the gods might be the best place to start because that's, it was in 2015. The the original one, you know, fingerprints, was in um, 1995, and you know they're pointing out that the Sphinx has like thousands of years of uh, rainwater erosion on it, but it hasn't rained in the Nile for a long, long time. So seemingly it's very old, like 10,000 years old or something, at least. Um, and then you know Egyptologists are like, oh, that's impossible. But the geologists were like, hey, uh, Egyptologists, sorry, that's rain erosion. That's not wind erosion. You can't get out of it. So. Um, but uh, they're like, well, where's all the other evidence? It's like, well, you know, nothing but stone really lasts. So, you know, everything would be obliterated, especially if there's a comet hitting the earth and, you know, like things got utterly destroyed. Incredible chaos. Randall Carson's very good for, uh, he's got a podcast himself or he's on the Rogan podcast a lot. Um, but Cosmographia, the K, is his podcast. Um, and um, but he talks a lot about just the devastation of that change. It's really crazy. Um, but uh, the... Um, yeah, uh, the Gebekli Tepe was then discovered, you know, in the early 90s, like, or late 90s, was it? Um, at, after this whole debate, and it's like 12,000, for sure, 12,800 years old, um, or around that. Um, and it was intentionally buried, filled in and buried all at once. We don't know why. Um, but it's, extreme, it's astronomically aligned, extremely advanced. It's the old, um, oldest work of megalithic architecture well, actually, I think the oldest would be um, Gunung Padang, which also Graham talk Hancock talks about, which is, I believe, the, the, the oldest parts they found. It's like this pyramid, which they thought was a mountain, but it's actually a pyramid inside a terraced pyramid in Indonesia. That means the mountain of enlightenment or the mountain of light, Gunung Padang. And um, it uh, they got drilled into it, and it was stopped by the local archaeologists. I think they stopped it and you know, with political pressure. But um, Danny, what's his name, Kuro or something... Um, so the bang bang, I can't remember his name. Cool name. Anyway, um, was looking into it, this archaeologist, and I think that they, they, they drilled down, and the, the oldest cause um, parts they found were I think 
it's like 28,000 years old or something really crazy. Um, but humans were meant to be only be making uh, cities like 5,000 years ago. But for sure, um, Gebekli Tepe in Turkey is like 12,000 years old. And then they found Karahan Tepe also. And these places are like, Gebekli Tepe is 50 times bigger than Stonehenge. And it's astronomically aligned, really advanced architecture. So you'd need engineers, you'd need an agricultural surplus, you'd need specialists, you'd need political uh, institutions to control everyone, you need a culture to rally around. It's like really advanced. So hunter-gatherers doesn't seem likely they could have made that. So anyway, but I think um, Atlantis existed. Um, I think probably actually at the tri-juncture, the triple junction of um, the European, African, and American plates um, where the Azores is now, it's actually when the sea levels were 100, feet, 100 uh, meters lower, they would have been, it would have been a big island. Um, and uh, also it seems like, because of the plates, it seems like there's evidence Randall talks about. He's got a thing, um, uh, Plato's Atlantis, back to the source. And he goes to Plato, which is where we get the story of Atlantis, which by the way, you know, every culture around the world, I think all the major cultures, like hundreds of cultures, talk about, oh, we humans were very advanced and then we got wiped out in a flood. And we had to start all over again, like children with no memory of what went before. And, you know, this is all around the world. Um, people have this, you know, all we were, you know, our founders long, long ago were refugees from this lost civilization. Um, and, you know, in the West, it's like the Atlantis story or Noah's flood. But um, And so, you know, Plato is venerable old Plato is the source for the Atlantis story. And um, in the, when he's giving it there, he's saying he got it from um, his, uh, from Solon, who was, I think his uh, ancestor, like his, what is it? Um, Solon passed it down to, or is the guy he's talking, no, I can't remember. There's like a few chains of um, um, drop, Dropidus, Solon to Dropidus to something, something. Anyway, there's like, um, but it's like a pass through the family, I think, and then to Plato, or maybe Plato's in the family, can't remember. Whatever, a few steps of separation, but it's like solid, you know, passed it down the story. Um, and uh, and he says, yeah, oh, when, um Basically, oh yeah, you know, he's talking. Solon went to Egypt, like you know, people go to America these days or, or England to study. You know, um, Egypt was the elder civilization, and so the Greeks would go there to study. And Solon was there, and the priest in the temple there is talking to him and saying, you know, oh, you Athenians, you know, you don't know, you know, nothing of what went before. And um, he tells him about how you know Egypt was uh, a legacy, not a development. It was, and the the most amazing stuff in Egypt is the oldest stuff which fits in with this you know, seeming fact that it was um, founded by refugees of a higher lost civilization. But um, the old, you know, the later temp um, architecture and art and temples is not as strong and not as advanced. Um, and the stuff in Egypt, we can't replicate like things where it's like it bores 50 times faster than diamond tipped drilling technology. We're like, we don't know how they did this. Um, anyway, um, and they found cocaine in like <laughs> Egyptian mummies and stuff. And it's like, what? Um, crazy stuff. Um, but uh, the priest says to Solon, yeah, like, um, you know, you know, the, uh, this advanced civilization was destroyed in a flood. And uh, Solon says, when did this happen? And the priest says, 9,000 years ago. Which is pretty crazy. Imagine being like, yeah, we have history from 9,000 years ago. He said, and we can go through it at your leisure in the sacred register. <laughs> Um, and as Randall Carlson says, oh, to check out that sacred register, <laughs> take a peek. That would be good. Um, but possibly that was all lost in the f Library of Alexandria being burnt. Who knows? 
Um, but or is it buried somewhere in Egypt? Who knows? Um, uh, or in London? <laughs> um, but uh, the Vatican. Um, so um, it just so happens that Solon, we know when Solon was there from you know historical record. We know the timelines, and that was nine thousand um, six hundred BC, which is uh, eleven thousand six hundred BC from us. Um, uh, 11,600 years ago from us, given that we're 2000 AD, right? And it just so happens at exactly that time, there was a huge increase of sea level, 100 meters. Was that a coincidence that the Egyptian priest was talking all this talk, you know, bluffing about knowing about some, oh, lost civilization got, you know, swamped in the sea, huge sea level rises 9,000 years ago. Where do you get that number? Turns out it's like exactly correct, you know? Ah, oh, interesting. And then there's all these other things though, but it seems like... Um, and the you know he says through the pillars of Hercules, which is the Straits of Gibraltar, um, out you know in the ocean there, and so it's not to, it was kind of not clear where exactly he meant, but um, uh, the, from this thing, uh, Randall goes through the source with Plato and um, goes through it bit by bit, and I learned a lot from that. It's really cool. Highly recommend that. I think it's thirty three quid to watch it if it's or maybe it's not behind a paywall anymore. I don't know, but very much worth it. Um, it's like six hours it goes into great depth, um, and. Um, uh, Plato mentions three times in that story, this is not just a story, this is fact. <laughs> like, goes to the point of saying it three times, you know, in the story. Like, you know, this isn't just a parable, like a metaphor, this is literally true. Why would they put that in three times if it wasn't, you know? Plato, like, who we get so much from, he's so respected, you know. But we think, oh, that was an exception. He just went off, you know, board. He had too much of the Eleusinian mystery that day. Um, uh, so, yeah, um, anyway, but it seems like there's uh, Randall in that thing he talks about um, that also that point where the Azores are has been sunken, the plates, depression of the plates um, due to the ice, like, you know, um, I think was it uh, the ice coming off elsewhere, pushing those plates down, counterbalance, something like that. But anyway, it seems like um, it would have been a huge kind of, like a, a kind of continent in the middle of the, uh, around the Azores there. It would have been very fertile. The Gulf Stream, we know, went all around it at that point. It would have been very temperate during the Ice Age. And that, you know, it's, um, and it, a lot of things about it seem to match the descriptions of Atlantis, like, oh, there were cold and hot streams flowing together. They have that on the Azores. Or like, you know, flowers of all kinds of descriptions, great for biodiversity of flowers and stuff. Um, th there's uh, like all kinds of things there where it seems to match up. And it's like, oh, that's very uncanny. Um, anyway, so I think, but, uh, but it seems like Atlantis was a global civilization. Um, and there, sure there's hunter gatherers all around the place who weren't part of it, just like there's hunter gatherers these days who are not part of our civilization, uh, our global technological civilization. And we could collapse and they might not know about us and they might go on and develop the new thing in 20,000 years and have no idea we were even here. And my microphone won't have survived. Nothing except stone will still be here, you know? Um, and this may have happened several times. Atlantis may not be the first, you know, these reboots of civilization. Um, maybe it's like God's like, all right, let's do this again. You know, let's, uh, you know, start a new, start a new campaign, start a new game, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, so, but it seems like Atlantis had outposts all over the place, but that was the heartland, the Azores. Although uh, Jimmy, what's the name? Jimmy uh, Corsetti, another kind of researcher guy about this kind of stuff. Um, he thinks there's a area, I think in the, West Africa, which was all green back as recently as a few thousand years ago, the, um, full of lakes and rivers, all of sub-Saharan Africa. By the way, the, uh, the Sahara is shrinking, getting greener. And Egypt was green back in the day and 
incredibly more fertile, um, uh, which is amazing to think about, you know. Um, and uh, but uh, yeah, but so there's this um, structure there. What's it called? The um, yeah, I can't remember right now. Um, or uh, it'll come to me, should I say? Um, and uh, the uh, it's like these concentric rings which match the description of the city of Atlantis. But, you know, round, Randall Carlson's like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, it just doesn't think, I think last check doesn't think it quite fits, but Jimmy Corsetti thinks it does for other reasons. But anyway, but who knows exactly where these things are. But um, it seems, uh, yeah, for sure something was there. And there's things like Antarctica appearing in maps from like the 1500s. We discovered the West, you know, like a uh, modern kind of civilization discovered um, Antarctica in like 1800, 1820 or 1800. Um and before that, there's maps from like 1790 and there's nothing on the bottom. You know? But then the older maps, there's like a geographically correct mapping of Antarctica on several maps. Orontius Phineas map, Piri Reis map, there's a bunch of them. And they would say, oh, these are, they're made like in the, you know, the medieval times. But they're saying these are, um, they would be like um, based on um, many other uh, source maps, which were falling apart at that time from like thousand, you know, thousand years before or 500 years before. Um and um, uh, that, and a lot of these had, you know, perfect um, longitude. And we only solved the problem of longitude, I think, in 18-something. Um, so where you, uh, before that, ships used to be crashing into rocks all the time because um, they wouldn't, they'd think they're, they were further east than they were or whatever. They, they wouldn't realize they're at land yet. And in the night, they crash into the rocks and all get killed. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't, John Harrison eventually um, created, uh, invented the chronometer, which allowed, you know, um, uh, you to compare your position to the stars and the, this clock which you had. I can't remember exactly how it works, but like with calculus, I think you can figure out where you are. And um, but before that, like mapping, you know, uh, they could uh, east and west, like the um, the longitude. It was very confusing. They couldn't. It was quite inaccurate on the maps. There's these ancient maps of like which have Antarctica on it with correct, you know, mapping uh, um, uh, of the. And in one case, at least subglacial topography it shows the land correctly under the ice it's like so is that when there wasn't ice there like what's that or did they they had the technology to scan it these people who have 50 times more powerful than egyptian um than modern diamond tip drilling you know i don't know um and uh but um but yeah also perfect longitude which is like well very advanced mathematics it's pretty crazy and a lot of the stuff in egypt these huge stones like how do they move this stuff anyway whatever so atlantis seemed i think was real Anything else? Let's see. Um, I believe in reincarnation, probably. Um, there's a bunch of uh, Dr. Ian Stevenson from Boston University uh, went around the world following up stories of children who said they remember past lives. And it turns out before, before kids grow up too much, um, a lot of kids um, remember, they, they claim to remember past lives. In certain cultures, um, that's, you know, the parents discourage that. Hey, don't say that anymore, you know. Or, you know, get rid of that. Don't think about that. Um, but in other cultures like India or whatever, it's like, yeah, of course, <laughs> you know. And so um, they're maybe even encouraged. Like, oh, tell me about it. Like, oh, yeah, my old mummy and my old family. I used to do it. And he went around and tracked them down and, you know, interviewed them and um, just see what they say, you know, recorded the detail like a good scientist. And then from them, some of them, he was able to go, okay, there's some specific enough information here. This sounds like it's in Scotland or Scandinavia or something. Let's go sc scout it out would go and do research and try to find and corroborate things. And there's cases where, like, I think the Isle of Skye in Scotland, there's some boy born in Pakistan or something, and this, uh, the, you know, 
Dr. Stevenson or whatever, uh, goes to the Isle of Skye and finds there was this house, which was like this red house by the rock there, and there was a boy who drowned and there was a dog or something. Things were like really uncanny, you know, similarities and connections. And I believe in the end he, he um, I think publicly he didn't say, he was like, you know, remaining impartial, or, but I think, but I believe he in the end concluded it was real. Um, not sure though. But, um, and then if you think about it, I think it's 50-50. Either when we die, that's the end, or it's not the end. Have you died? I haven't died as far as we know. Um, so we don't have evidence, right? Like um, either it is or it isn't, right? 50-50 it seems. You could go, no, it's 100-0. But then you're being religious, ironically, if you do that, because you don't have evidence for that, you know? Um, uh, I'm not saying it's 100% likely your incarnation's real. I'm just saying 50%, you know? Like... Um, it seems like, yeah, either there's something after or there's not. And what exactly form does it, do we go to heaven? Is it like some reincarnation as a human? Reincarnation as another animal? Are you like an alien on another planet? Do you turn into a star? Are you just the universe and you just wait till it's like dodgeball? You just wait till everyone's gotten out and then, okay, everyone goes back in again? Or what is it? Um, I don't know. Um, but um, it's, yeah, a lot of people also undergo past life hypnosis, regression therapy, and say feel like they recall past lives i did it once and i wasn't it wasn't really it was like a dream i wasn't sure if it was real or if i was just making it up it was really and you know i kind of i don't know i think the way my mind works a bit i was a bit difficult to get into it i didn't i want to do it perfect i didn't want to mess up and i didn't want to trick myself and so i found it very difficult at first to just she was like what do you see i, was like, oh, I, don't, I don't know i was getting a bit anxious that gets you out of the it's all about relaxation the hypnosis you know and then i'm thinking oh, am i going to get too uh you know i'm gonna get too if i get too stressed then if I worry about getting stressed, I'm going to get more stressed. So, you know, like, ah, self-fulfilling prophecy. So I had to get over that at the beginning. But once I got into it, say, for example, I had a, a memory of being a, a mother and um, having children. And um, uh, they it basically, in the end, I, what I felt was that we were Jewish and um, we were persecuted by the Nazis. And um, my son got shot. And um, my hu my husband had, like, you know, been sexually abusing uh, me and I think one of the kids or something. And it was really crazy, like, because um, it was like uh, I was crying my eyes out. Like, I, I don't think I've ever cried like that before. Um, and I could barely, you know, I was trying really hard to breathe. And, I, you know, I meditate and stuff. So I was, and Wim Hof Method. And I was, so I was trying to control my breathing really well. And the, you know, the, we were in a hypno, hypnotist, like regression lady, you know, um, therapist was like you know just breathe breathe and i was like i'm trying it's just overwhelming waves of emotion and that was very interesting i was like okay i don't know if that memory was real but like that emotion where did that come from like why would that come up so strong it's very strange and so i feel like that probably was real but i, I don't know um but um my brother had an experience being in elizabeth elizabeth elizabethan england like plotting stuff and then everyone getting killed and just being like terrified running through the forest and um, feeling so guilty, like they're all dead, they're all dead. Um, and uh, what I remember him telling me that and looking in his eyes. I was like, that looks like a memory. <laughs> that doesn't look like imagination. So, you know, these little pieces of the puzzle, I think at least we could say it's 51% likely reincarnation is real, 49%, 51 to 49, you know. Um, but I don't know. Um, uh, and, yeah, people talk about, like, say, someone who um, like out of body experiences and near death experiences, NDEs and OBEs, but um, near death experiences, like a guy who apparently was a cardiologist, a, a heart doctor 
a surgeon and um, I haven't looked into this deeply, but I believe this is true. And there's many other people who talk about this sort of thing, but that um, he was operating on someone and they died. Um, but then they came back to life. They managed to bring them back to life. And the person said like, oh, I went up, I saw a bright light, you know, I went towards the light and all these, you know, people I loved and knew were there and they're waiting for me and they're so happy for me. But then they said, you know, it's not your time. You know, you have to go back, you know, and I didn't want to leave, but you know, I had to go back and here I am. Um, and, uh, a lot of people have that story, the stereotypical bright light thing. And like, um, there's these orbs of light, they're greeting you and they're like souls and you know them. And a lot of people say that. Um, and then the doctor's like, yeah, yeah, sure. You're, you're fine. It's just, you know, oxygen deprivation to the brain. You'll be okay or whatever. And the guy's like, yeah, by the way, why is there, there's like a shoe. So, you know, there's a pair of shoes on the roof of this hospital. I don't know why they're there. And like, what? And then they looked into it and they were a pair of shoes on the roof, apparently. And then the cardiologist was like, oh shit, my life is a lie. And like went on this kind of spiritual awakening and got into the whole thing of um, near-death experiences. Um, but yeah, so, all right, what else? Um, I mean, I believe the universe is alive and conscious. I believe, um, you know, we're all one. We're basically like, you know, I'm Jamie here. I'm this human being. But, you know, am I, where am I? Am I inside my head? Am I behind my eye? Am I behind my nose? Where do I begin? Like here's, you know, the microphone is a physical object. I can scan it with my attention. Okay, there it is. I can scan with my imagination kind of, but my attention, the, the table behind me, um, you know, and see, like imagine it there. Okay, it's just there in 3D space. I can do the same thing with my head. Now, whereabouts in my head is, is me? Is it my eyebrow? Is it my blue iris? Is it the blood? you know, inside, you know, the eye vessels or whatever. Is it the um, retina? Is it just behind the retina? Am I hanging out just behind the retina? Retinas. Um, am I in the optic nerve? Am I in the brain? Just hanging out in the brain? I don't remember. I don't see the brain around here. Am I in the brain? And if you cut my brain open, please don't. Will you see? I see like colors here. I see, all, you know, these colors. I don't, I'm not going to see blue and green in my brain, am I? So where are these colors happening, you know? Um, Basically, I think we're all, it seems like we're all in, kind of inside the mind of God. It's like, um, I am not this body. I'm not these thoughts or this mind or these emotions. This is a character I'm playing, but I am the actor. You are the actor. We are all basically um, God in this form. God living as this little form here. Um, and through spiritual practices, you can connect to the your greater self, our greater self as the whole universe. Um, but it's kind of like you're, we're a branch on the tree. You know, I'm a little twig on, on the, the tip of the branch. Um, and then there is a part of like a, a part of a bigger kind of branch, but still pretty twiggy, um, which is say my family. And then that's part of this bigger branch, which is say, let's say uh, Ireland, um, genetically. Right. Um, and, uh, perhaps spiritually. Um, although, you know, Australia too, spiritually connection there for sure. Um, but let's just for the metaphor, let's say, uh, bigger branches, Ireland, so my family and all these other families there, you know, part of that. Um, and then that part of Europe, European, you know, that bigger branch, which also has, you know, Hungarian, Swedes, Italians, whatever, there's other branches on that. But it's all, you know, the tips of this Italian, uh, this European branch, but they're all, they're not separate to it. They're, they're the end of it. They're just the tippy, you know, little divergent end part. It's still, still the branch. And then that is itself just a tip of this bigger branch, which is uh, humans which is a self part of a, a bigger branch, which is animals, which is, or mammals, which is part of animals, which is part of life or earth, Gaia, earth, which is part of, you know, Milky Way, which is part of 
the universe and life, you know? And so we we are the whole tree, but we're also this little branch, this tiny little part. I am Jamie. I'm also Maglue. I'm also Ireland. I'm also Europe. I'm also humanity. I'm also uh, mammals. I'm also... Uh, uh, animals. <laughs> I'm also Gaia. I'm also the Milky Way. I'm also the universe. You know, um, and you know the one and the all and the all and the one. And um, I believe you know you can from just if you meditate, just focus on your breath. Do some vipassana, vipassana, breathing meditation. Do the Wim Hof method if you want. That's a bit you know more kind of maybe suitable for people from the West. It might be easier to connect to that because he talks a lot of science. Wim Wim Hof, cool guy. Um, but, uh, also, um, and just talking about getting in touch with your biology, but, um, you could use that, but yeah, basically, you know, read the power of now. I highly encourage you to read the power of now by Eckhart Tolle or Eckhart Tolle. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, learn to realize you are not your mind. You're not your thoughts. You can watch the thoughts. You are the watcher of thoughts, of emotions, of colors, of everything. You are just this witnessing space and you can't really notice yourself because you are not an object you are the subject you're the space which objects come into and so you can just notice yourself as the space that's what i'm working on it's kind of confusing maybe because i'm trying to understand it through manipulating linguistic objects of words but um in moments of lucidity i understand it as i i have been that and i've been the universe and I, i felt my oneness you know um and basically as the watcher there you are basically connecting to you are just the universe um, you're just the empty space of the universe. I think that's what's going on. And um, anyway, so basically, that so much to say that one, I believe through ex, um, experiential, epi, um, what do you call that? Um, uh, epistemological evidence? No, what is that word I'm looking for? Um, but like experimental evidence. Um, uh Yes, uh, I think, it, it, yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, exper epistemological evidence or whatever. Um, uh, so yeah, exper experimental first-hand evidence, feedback, you can notice that you are conscious. Consciousness is present here right now. Um, and it's not a thought, it's just consciousness. Here I am. And uh, you could then go, oh, maybe it's an illusion because how do you get consciousness out of matter? The hard problem of consciousness doesn't make sense. How can you get it, you know? Um, how can all these you know complex things generate consciousness? Um, maybe consciousness is just an like there's no blue or green inside my brain. So oh, is it just an illusion? No, I think it's the other way around. I think consciousness is real, and you know the brain. It's like as Eckhart Tolle says, the brain didn't make consciousness, but consciousness made the brain, among many other things. <laughs> and consciousness is the primordial essence of reality. It's just a word, consciousness. You could also call it awareness, presence, being, love, Jeff, whatever you want to call it. It's just a word. Some of them can be useful in different contexts. God, you know, um, life, um, source, uh, reality, um, emptiness, infinity. So, but it is what it is beyond words. It is that which is beyond words and thus beyond thought. Um it's just the silent presence of everything. Um, and we are that. And so, but yeah, so that consciousness is present. And you could think, oh, it's an illusion. But then, oh, 
I would say that doesn't make sense if just from your own experience, but also if you want, get you some of the way. I could say um, through, uh, if you think about it, if you were to, to say, A, we can all agree, I think that it's, it feels like it's not an illusion. It feels like it's real, right? So it's, that's already leaning towards, it's not conclusive evidence, but it leans us towards, yeah, it's probably real. Everyone thinks that we're really here, you know? Um, but we only, it's only if we go, oh yeah, wait, that causes a problem over there with some logical argument, some beliefs I'm invested in. Oh, maybe this is an illusion. That's the only reason we say it. Um, intuitively, it feels like, oh no, it feels real. This, this presence I am here. But um, then, uh, but let's condescend to think about it, even though it's, all you need to do is just turn off your mind for a second and you will know it's real consciousness and that you're it. Um, but, uh, but let's just go into it. Um, why not? Um, icing on the cake. So um, that if it's an illusion okay, oh yeah, uh, this is a, conscious is just an illusion. How are you conscious that it's an illusion? Does that not require that you've gone, oh, okay, A plus B plus C equals D. Okay, therefore this is an illusion. How did you even make those steps of an argument if there's no consciousness processing the truth here and understanding what's happening? If you're asleep, if, if you know, uh, what is it like a robot just pr processing things? Like, is that really credible? You could say, oh yeah, maybe it's like a computer just processing it, doesn't know what it's doing. But does it not seem to you that you are going, no, no, uh, I am conscious that this doesn't make sense. It, it feels to you again like, you know, um, it, your, your experience of it is that, yeah, um, I am conscious of an illusion here. But then you're saying the consciousness is the illusion. So that's a contradiction. So anyway. I think, uh, yeah, we are conscious and also there's only one thing in reality. This is premise number two. Premise number one, consciousness um, exists. Two, um, um, and that's the most fundamental thing we can know is that we are conscious. Because anything else we believe, um, it just means because we are conscious of, we're using our consciousness to navigate truths and you know understand things or see things, experience things. If our consciousness isn't real, then all this other stuff, could just be illusions. Consciousness is the most real thing we have. It's the most fundamental thing we know, um, which is another reason why to think to take it more seriously than, you know, your belief that maybe it's an illusion. Because which came first? You know, the consciousness was here first, pal. You know, um, and that's th only through consciousness have you been able to, um, yeah, get to that point. But anyway, so consciousness is present. Um, consciousness exists. Then premise two is that all is one. So the whole universe, if you think about it, we keep zooming in on everything, the microphone, the Buddha statue here, the candle, the floor, you know, your your eyelashes, your sneakers, um, uh, let's say Elon Musk's favorite scarf, whatever. Zoom in on everything. It's all made of the same stuff. It's all protons, electrons, and neutrons um, with 99.99% empty space in between everything. And you zoom in on the, you know, the particles and they're made of subatomic particles, which are again, 99.9% .9 empty space, the quarks and stuff, um, or quarks or whatever it is. Um, they're all, you know, you keep the same thing, keep turtles all the way down. You keep zooming in. And, uh, in the end, it seems like it's just a, a soup of energy. You know, some people say it's strings, but then, okay, zoom in on the strings. What do you see? And, you know, um, and even if there was some sort of thing, like, okay, the strings and, and they're in space, 
you know, or it's like, well, there's some particle and it's, you know, there's polka dots in the space. Anything where you're saying there's things, more than one thing, and there's space in between them. Okay, well then, isn't the space part of reality also? If the space isn't part of reality, how is it qualified to separate objects in physical reality, you know? Clearly it's part of the universe, it's part of reality and our experience. Um, on the macro level, my hand is between the camera and the microphone, and also on the micro level, where it's like this space between the polka dots that make up existence or whatever. And so no matter what you get to, if you think, oh, there's objects and the space in between them, the space is made of universe, the objects are made of universe. The only thing that separates them is your word where you're saying things and space. But it's all made of universe, right? So let's just cut to the chase and go, yeah, okay, it's useful to think of things and space, um, you know, uh, on one level, but uh, basically it also makes sense to say, yeah, they're the same thing, it's all universe. And so which of those is more fundamental? Which do you think was here first? Which do you think will be here longest? Um, which is therefore the more ultimate perspective? Okay, it's all one. Um, and you come to this intuitively when you turn off your mind anyway, just directly you'll sense your oneness with everything. Um, and so uh, all is one. So premise one, consciousness exists. Premise two, there's only one thing. You see where I'm going with this? Therefore, the whole universe is conscious. And we can say consciousness, consciously, if you want, whatever. Uh, the universe is consciousness. Consciousness is the universe. Um, the whole universe is alive. QED. Um, that would be my point of view. So um, anything else? Oh, maybe that's a pretty good spot to leave it on. Um, anything else outrageous and interesting I'd want to mention? Um, that, let's see, that seems pretty good. All right. Thanks everyone for your attention. If anyone's still here, um, and uh, yeah, um, I hope this has helped you maybe open your mind a little bit, you know, and um, or just been you know interesting in some way. Um, you know, I'm always trying to keep get a clearer perspective, and you know, um, I think we could all yeah have a bit of an, a more open mind. And um, so, if you have anything from this where you think, oh yeah, you know, I think here you're overlooking this or you got that wrong or this, please let me know. I really want to know. Um, but I would love to have you open my mind um, on whatever it is. And uh, yeah, you know, this is all just, I like I say, things here. I don't, you know, there's things I know, there's things I don't know, there's things I think might be true or, you know, must be true or are probably true. Should be true. But uh, yeah, so anyway, I think, at the end of the day, it's like these kind of conversations are really useful and good for us and good for yourself, but good for everyone, just so we can kind of figure out, imagine if the whole world was being this honest and just talking about stuff, you know? I think there's a lot of people who have a lot of interesting things to say, um, but who don't say it because they're worried what people think. But, you know, isn't that kind of like a tragic thing? Like, I think there's so much 
interesting stuff we can share by going, yeah, I agree with you or no, I don't agree with you. And then, and why, you know? And, uh, so yeah. Um, let me know if there's any questions you have or comments and, um, like this video or, um, you know, send it to someone if you think they'd appreciate it. Sending it to people would be really cool. Spread the, spread the good vibes and I love you. Um, fellow branch on the tree of life. See you next week.